All right, welcome to Now This Is Podcasting. I'm your host, Connor, and I have my co-host, Jaden. Yee. And former guest, Calvin. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, and uh, we're going to add another movie to our list of favorites. This is, uh, we're going to talk about The Fountain, and this is one of Calvin's favorites, so. Yeah, so buckle up. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> a, yeah, I'm, 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 I don't know that this movie is, it, it it's not my favorite, but. That's we're why we're doing mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and <laughs> but I but I think it's really interesting, and I I'm excited to talk about it because uh, I think it, it oh, yeah. has a lot of it, there's a lot of like really neat aspects to it. So uh, I'm excited to to dive into this one. And uh, you know, as per usual, just kind of <coughs> going over the stat. Uh, this film's directed by uh, Darren Aronofsky. Um, I think we've brought him up before because uh, I mentioned like Mother. He did that. Uh, Black Swan. Um, Requiem for a Dream. The Wrestler. Yeah. Hi Noah. Yeah, he's he's done. I mean, he's uh, this is sort of well because this came out in like two thousand six. Is kind of like one of his earlier kind of big. Well, because Requiem for a Dream came out way before that too. Not way before that. I want to say it was two thousand one, oh, two thousand okay. or two thousand one. It was around. You know, yeah. it was a I am Sam contemporary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so he's. <laughs> I mean, he's done plenty of stuff. He has a, a pretty big filmography. Uh, so I, when I was looking at this. Because I always like to check out the box office and the budget. I was like surprised by this. So, it had a budget of thirty-five million and a box office of sixteen, which shocked me because this movie's like not bad. So I don't, I didn't understand why it did so poorly. And so then I looked into some of his other movies, like uh, the Wrestler came out after that. That was a, that was a way, It was even a smaller budget. It was sixteen million and it made forty-four million. Then is I think it's like kind of big breakout movie that is really clear, critically acclaimed and it pretty would, popular was it, Black Swan. It's actually Requiem for a Dream. He was actually more famous from Requiem for, for a Dream for a long time. And it has a You're big, probably right. It has yeah. a big cult following, more so than the other ones. I think the thing is I, I didn't really enjoy that movie, so I don't really think about it. I watched mm-hmm. it and I was like, eh, it's, it's, it's whatever. To me, I just personally didn't really connect with that movie but black swan was 13 million and it made like 329 million like that was an insanely popular movie yeah and it was it was i I think the biggest part thing too to think about is how each one of those was marketed black swan was marketed like crazy right yeah i i absolutely knew that this movie was coming out and 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 everybody knew about the the mila kunis uh natalie Natalie portman scene you know that that was like Sure, I'm sure not. Big the... reason why some of the tickets sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But it's I'm not just like saying the draw, but like you're right. Was, it it gr- created a lot of hype. Yeah, because yeah. I don't super remember hearing about the fountain, but I absolutely remember hearing about Black Swan. It was you're right. They're marketed very differently. Uh, then it, I think that kind of launched him into like Noah, which is like a really kind of big movie. That that one has uh, 125 to 160 million dollar budget. I think they kind of keep that vague because marketing factors into that so they don't mm-hmm. like really know exactly what the budget is mm-hmm. but that that did about the same as black swan is 359 million so i mean he's done like stuff that is successful yeah. and i know who darren aronofsky is and so i was like that's why i was surprised by this kind of film's like its lack of box office draw especially the other thing i want to say is so this came out in 2006 by that point hugh jackman had been in three x-men movies x-men 3 the phoenix one Came out the same year. It yeah, came out in two thousand six. Like, yeah. like Hugh Jackman is like we're talking about like peak Hugh Jackman here. Like this is a, a hyper famous Hollywood star. So how does he show up in this movie? And it's like it's a total dud. I was so confused by it because it's not bad and you have a great cast in it. So it was really weird to me, like f- seeing those numbers. Uh, yeah, a big part of it might have been. Um, I can't remember when the Matrix Matrix uh, trilogy films were all released, but those. Are this generally overshadowed every other sci-fi film in that in that time period. So it, and 
because of the marketing and because of how weird it was, uh, the budget cuts, all of that, it does not surprise me that it did as, as bad as it did. Because um, it's also probably one of his weaker films. Um, it is one of my favorites for a number of reasons, but it's not, it's not great. It, and it's not great as part of his catalog. It's it's certainly, if you've seen Mother, because that's a little bit more recent. That's his most recent one. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty. It's a pretty similar feel. Um, that's actually one of my least favorite movies I think I've ever watched. Is in terms of like a, a, a in terms of like a director who I know is talented and like can tell good stories. That's the most pretentious movie I've ever seen in my life. And it's uh, I, I, I like when you can have a good story put on film in a clever way. That movie is is so like beating you over the head with like how clever it is and how smart it is and how oh film festival this movie is but it somehow got this really wide release and i think it's it's his weakest movie i've ever seen it's one of my least favorite movies i've ever seen i did not care for mother at all i i i know there i know i love them for their flaws yeah i love i love what what i'll say this is like why i like the fountain is it's it's this richly imagined story of universal truths um told with dazzling lights and moving performances and and an amazing score i love the music here and it's religious it's full of religious symbolism and it it abounds in the mundane and the exotic but it equates the two through their source the shared human journey like on the constant precipice of death how do we define ourselves and I mean, it has its flaws, but it stands as one of my favorites for its atmosphere, uh, its reflection of my, my own personal worldview, and its influence especially on my mom, my filmmaking style, mostly to, to my detriment. Right. Because um, <laughs> part of the problem is it just, it just throws everything in there. And I, I understand, like, that's, that's, that's the same – it's the same thing. The same feeling that you have in Mother is the same problem that you have here. It's so many symbols, so many things going on um, that sometimes it's a little – it's not it's – not, it's, it's too understated. Sometimes it's too overstated. Sometimes it's just enough. But it's so uneven that it, it's, it's really jarring for, um, for a viewer and for the audience in general that, right. you know – it, it, it pulls you in and out of uh, how you care if you care about the narrative so often that a lot of people are just gonna like this is just weird and dumb or pretentious. Yeah, see that's the thing is I, I didn't find this movie pretentious at all, and I didn't think it was beating me over the head with its symbolism. Like that again, that's my problem with Mother. I I didn't think that this movie did that at all. I just think so. You this is your favorite. You've seen it a bunch of times, and you've analyzed it. Jane and I we saw it for the first time, you know, prior to this podcast. So. Uh, I think for me, I was mostly just looking for, like, I wanted to see the performances, like, what do I like about it? Just, like, the, it was just a general grasp of the narrative, like, what do I like about it? And um, that's, like, mostly what I took away. So I think you're, uh, I'm excited to hear what you have to say, because I wanted to hear maybe the things I missed, which I think is what, which I think is like, yeah, it's like, I think it's what we always kind of strive for in this podcast is like, let's, let's analyze this and pick apart, like, kind of the cool things that are happening behind the scenes that make these scenes and these movies so great. And so that's why I'm excited to hear what you had to say. Um, do you have more information on like why? Because I talked about the budget. Like, why did this movie yeah. get the reception it did? Oh, uh, it's so the the whole the whole production is actually crazy. The um, the 
It was originally supposed to be shot in Australia. They had massive sets made. The opening sequence was supposed to be like some 200 conquistadors. or well, It was supposed to be about 1,000 people. I read that too, yeah. Yeah, of uh, a mix of uh, Mayans and conquistadors. It was supposed to be an incredibly um, choreographed and large-scale scene. Then um, partway through building all of the sets, um, the studio canned the whole film. Yeah, they. Do you know they, how it like? How did it pick back up again? Like, why did it? Do you know why it continued being made after it was? Just, yeah, he. Yeah. So the whole. So he decided to rewrite the script. Um, and what he what he described it as, uh, taking more of an independent spirit to how he wanted to tell this story, which just translates to I don't have enough money to make up expansive story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I think it actually works for this movie. I think mm-hmm. I actually kind of like that first fight. Where yeah, it is, I, I cannot. Like, he, th- yeah. thinking about a lot the what it was supposed to be i was like that's stupid that sounds so dumb it, it it aligns more the way this movie is it's 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 one guy doing whatever it takes to kind of reach this goal and it kind of wouldn't have made sense to be like you wouldn't have gotten the feel like it's it's one man on a mission to achieve something if he's then surrounded by 200 other people and so i kind of like the opening where it's it's him and two other guys who are like immediately like taken out and then they they keep going a little fun fact about that opening scene um, so there's like 70 kind of like Mayan warriors, uh, out of the 70 extras there, 20 of them are actual, like from like Mayan descent. Mm-hmm. They were like fro- flown in from like Guatemala. And, uh, the only one who could speak English is like kind of that chief at the very top with a fire sword. Oh yeah. So he would kind of like relay the messages to the rest of the extras on like what they were supposed to be doing and stuff. But yeah. They, I think it's really cool that they actually tried to get like people who were descent from like that actual culture to be involved i thought that was really cool yeah that is cool and it really helps to the aesthetic and the whole um mind symbolism for everything yeah i think that's uh yeah that's a neat I, like i said i love my fun facts that was a good one i think <laughs> yeah so leading into that um all of the budget cuts um talk about style there is almost no cgi in this entire yeah, film yeah i was about to ask about that so you would mention that when we were watching this, and I was like, how is that possible? This just seems wild to me. Yeah, yeah. So the yeah. only place that – there are two places that are CGI. Um, it's the end scene um, when they get to Shibaba and the flowers. <laughs> that That's it. The, when the flowers um, take over uh, Tomas's body, they couldn't they – couldn't, um, it was actually like a mechanical bodysuit that they had sprout. Really? Out. Yeah, like he was basically in a little cage, and they were like little like uh, like animatronics just – and shot I out, like, yeah. I, I guess they, they don't get it. They couldn't get the flowers yeah. to do that. I don't realize how expensive visual effects are, or how, but somehow visual effects seems like it would be cheaper than like a big animatronic setup to do that. I don't know. I, I guess I just don't know enough about filmmaking to like figure out. Yeah, I've, what I've, the difference I've is always cost. been confused by that too. Yeah, it's like it seems like it would be like yeah, someone can just make that on a computer. Like, like, when they talk quick, about yeah. like like how expensive Game of Thrones is to make. It's like yeah. mostly rendering the dragons. It's yeah, like, that just seems like. The wildest thing to me, you guys yeah. are like castles and yeah, like, it, right. Yeah. It's it's the man hours required to that's, build the yeah, model. That's yeah, that's what I've that's what I've learned. But it's like somehow you it's can make these real sets. Like that means that they're making pretty good money doing this yeah. stuff too. Which is no, they're no? not them individually yeah. because it's because we. I mean, we've looked at the you know like we were talking about when we saw Black Widow, like the wall all of, of the, text. Yeah, the yeah, there are so like, many. That that's a pretty. That's yeah, a good they're they're just they're just a dime a dozen. Anybody can anybody can do it as far as the industry is concerned. Yeah, like the. Because it takes a village. Know-how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, that's so, interesting. Cause I, okay, yeah, so, so why? What? I, 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 I love thinking about this. Like, what? Why? Why do you think uh, there isn't any? Uh, why there should be CGI? So uh, I was confused. So Jane and I talked about this earlier. 
without you and because he was saying that because you two watched it together and he had mentioned to me that you had said that there's no cgi or very limited how is that possible like the whole every time they're floating in the little bubble through space i, I don't understand how that cannot be yeah, no, visual I, effects I like as well. and so I, i'm excited to hear why because i that i was like that is clearly a visual effects shot yeah to it, me and so i'm, I'm interested to know why it's not <laughs> so it's visual effects department but it's not computer generated so green screen is still something that's everywhere in the film okay so there are so what the way it works then is it's practical shots superimposed on other practical shots so the way they got that um all of those textures of the nebula and the stars and everything oh it's one of my favorites because i um in school we accidentally did the same thing so what what they did uh is they commissioned a studio that um it's just a dude that actually works with macro lenses and what he did does is he takes uh like little petri dishes with different fluids and creates chemical reactions and then films that and then films that and it's just this moving waves of moving waves of uh color and fluid that's just kind of like inlaid on top of like a starfield background yeah so the the whole the whole tree is built and green screen everywhere and then you come in and put that into the green screen okay that's a little different than what i thought when you say like no computer generated i guess that makes sense but I was like, well, there's clearly visual effects shots in this. <laughs> like, th- that's it's. I guess it's just visual effects, not as like I usually think about it, because that to me is usually like, you know, in like Black Widow, like giant avalanche coming down the mountain. Like, that's a big visual effects shot. And so I, I, this is visual effects too, but it's not like computer generated to the same degree as what you're talking about, or at all. Yeah, so that's, exactly. That's, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So me and uh, a friend, we were in um, an avant-garde uh, film class, and we were messing around with. That little sounds so fucking pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you have a class to teach you how to be a snob. Like Yeah, well, it was more deconstructing, like, through uh, through participation and theory, uh, the uh, more avant-garde um, tendencies of certain films and right. certain film ideas and periods. And so we were messing around with Petri dishes on, you know, like one of those old-school projectors, you know, with, the like, the, the clear laminate and teachers would write on. That's right, how right, yeah. No, I know math, exactly what Like, back about, yeah. in the day, like, if you're – I'm sure there's plenty of people, like – you have to be over 30, it sounds like, to actually understand like yeah, guess, what's going yeah. on anymore. Like, um, But uh, we were playing around with a, a Petri dish and uh, mess- and dropping little bits of color in there. And all of a sudden, we, we looked at the screen and we're like, oh, my God, we just made the fountain. It was yellow and black and a starscape, but things swirled. I was like, cool. I was like, this has to be how they did it. And to find out that's actually how they did it, I was like, oh, my God, I'm a filmmaker. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually pretty cool. Yeah, I yeah. really love that because th- that's, again, that's like when we first invited you on and then you just you just decided to stay. Like, I love it for reasons like that because, like, I have no idea that. And, and But you have this background and then you have this knowledge of it. That's such a cool thing. And, and the fact that you were able to kind of recreate something out of, like, one of your favorite films, I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's and really organically, cool. too, which yeah. is another, like, it's another, like, fun thing. Like, yeah, everything is connected. Like, because this film is just, like, yeah. Yeah, everything this and this is like you know this is why like i had such a problem getting to a leaf is just a leaf is because right. i love films like this where everything is something and means something and it means three things right and it's connected to the past and the present and the future and which is why i have a hard time like breaking down how to discuss this film because you can't talk about one thing without talking about two other timelines right and then literally the whole point of the film so did we want to like break this down into like kind of describe our kind of interpretation of each timeline and then yeah. tie it all together i don't know about in 
interpretation, but maybe maybe interpretation. But yeah, let's let's talk yeah, about synopsis. Um, I guess let's yeah. talk about the we'll we'll call them um, present, past, and future. I think those would right. be the easiest way of of describing it. Yeah. So let's start with present. Yeah. So that's Tommy. Yeah. What he goes Tommy by, right? and Rachel. Tom Tommy, yeah. Yeah, and and Izzy. Yeah, um, Izzy. yeah Rachel Weiss's character Izzy. Yeah. yeah. So fun fact: uh, Darren Hartnovsky is married to Rachel Weiss during this movie. During right? this shooting, yeah. Like I did read that. Um, so she wasn't the original casting for it. The actual original casting was Brad Pitt and uh, Kate Blanchett. Oh my gosh! And why <coughs> Benjamin Button came after this? And so right? um, uh, what yeah, I read is Benjamin that Button's like 2008. What I read is that uh, Brad Pitt and Darren Aronofsky just had creative differences, and he ended up moving on. And I think probably part of the moving on had to do with the movie getting canned, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so then uh, Hugh Jackman signs on, and he yeah, was the one—he was the one who actually convinced Darren Aronofsky to have Rachel Weisz play Izzy in this, because he, oh, he said right. he I forgot about he said that. he doesn't want to do favoritism, and he like purposely kind of doesn't try to cast kind of his favorite actors or people close to him. So obviously he wouldn't cast his own wife. Which is weird because he has similar – he has, a, a like, a team of collaborators. Like, right. the composer for the film, he uses him for almost all of his films. I wonder but if maybe it's just different when it's someone on screen, I guess. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. But, uh, but apparently – He's supposed to put on the facade yeah. that he's not yeah, maybe uh, using true. nepotism. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I guess it was Hugh Jackman who was like, I think Rachel Weisz would be really great in this. And he was kind of the driving factor in convincing him to cast – uh, Rachel Weisz's Izzy, which is, which I think is great. I think they're both really good in this. Uh, yeah, it is interesting to think about what this movie would have looked like with Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett in it. Though, like, I wonder, I, I, I wonder I how it would have worked. I kind of right? feel like it would have felt exactly like I Benjamin Button. Right. Yeah, I, I yeah. Th th it's a very similar tone in the way that their uh, their uh, relationship was approached in that film as well. So, yeah, I, I think I wonder we, if they didn't do, do this one because of Benjamin Button. Yeah, they would have been principal probably uh, around the same time they started. I would yeah, imagine principal Button took a while to film. Yeah, well, the thing is, is uh, like I I want to say that principal generally means um like nine months after that. It seems to yeah. be the case that like nine months to a year, depending on um the level of CGI that's required. So it certainly would have been in the works if they had uh in two thousand six, but if this is filming in two thousand five, yeah in 2004 then they probably i don't even know if that was greenlit anywhere yet so that's that's an interesting conversation but it's it's cool that they they ended up getting another movie together yeah that movie's good i like benjamin button yeah i, I don't case of benjamin button. yeah i don't know if i how i'll feel about it now so right now i'll just i'll keep my rose colored glasses yeah, right. i love that <laughs> kate blanchett's a fantastic actress yeah brad pitt is criminally underrated as a high oh, i love brad pitt, dude. i think Actually, he yeah. he just gets put in the almost like the same categories like brad pitt i mean uh, sorry as tom cruise <laughs> Uh, just this hyper famous is just uh, kind of universally liked in everything he's in, and yeah. he kind of goes just gets put into this like category of like mega famous superstars who just maybe do like action movies, and so you just know him for that. But he's done like mm -hmm. really small. Like, do you guys see Ad Astra? It's probably it's I have one of not. I've heard it's movies. good. Though. I wouldn't call it small though. Uh, I mean, it's not like I don't think it's it wasn't a big. It wasn't very big, at least commercially. It wasn't very successful. Well, yeah. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good, and I think he does a really good performance. I think he does a lot of smaller movies. It's just he's so famous that you just associate him with famous guy, and I think it. it you're right. He does get underrated for the performances he gives. Yeah, mm -hmm. Brad Pitt's great. Yeah, he is. But I think Hugh Jackman also like is great in this. So I don't oh, think I don't think yeah. the movie suffers or changes because of the no, change I, in I, cast I at all. No, I think it's still. Yeah. I think the performances are all really great in this. So if we want to talk about kind of our, our present tense 
Tommy. I, so he's a doctor, and he's trying to find a cure for his wife Izzy, who has like a brain tumor, and he's he's trying to figure out how to cure this. Is yep. kind of his whole. That's the whole point of like his character and his what's driving him right now. And I absolutely despise this guy. Like I don't like <laughs> his character at all. He's extremely selfish to me. Um, there's there's parts where like Izzy's just trying to kind of like live out her last days and have fun with him and and trying to enjoy like her last bit of life. And he would rather do his research and, you know, he, he kind of loses out on all these cool moments he could have had with her because he's trying to figure out a cure. And I think it speaks a lot to, like, kind of, I think the point of this movie is, is clearly, like, how do we deal with death? How do we talk about death? Um, and our, our kind of drive to be immortal. And yeah. I think this guy is, like, he's so selfish. Everything about him is he's trying to keep her alive, like, for his sake and not keep her alive because he, like, necessarily wants her to flourish or be alive it's it, it seems like it's all about him I, so, I don't i don't um necessarily agree with that but what, what were you to say Jane? so like i mean i i agree with definitely certain points of connor's uh with connor's statement like uh so Hugh jackman it seems like he he definitely is like selfish but he doesn't mean to be selfish so either like either way if izzy dies he's either gonna feel guilt about not being there and working as hard as he can to save her or he's gonna feel guilty about working hard not being there but like, if there's a chance of him saving her, like he's gonna, he hasn't accepted the fact that she's gonna die yet because he believes that he can save her. So in, like the five stages of grief, like he hasn't, he's not at acceptance yet. Like that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. I guess so, the reason, the reason I think it's selfish is, is so there's a there's a part where, uh, he gets like a phone call and Izzy's like, don't answer it, like come hang out with me. He answers the phone. Uh, there's a part where there, uh, she wants him to like write the lap- last chapter of like her manuscript, like this book she's working on, and instead of just doing what she wants, he's like, he's like, get that away from me. He's like, I don't want to talk about that. He's like, you'll finish it because he, he's just, I, I think he's he's really selfish. It's like all these things she, well, like when they're, uh, she's outside looking through the telescope and having a, she's out in the snow. It's like it, immediately his response is like, get inside. Like, what are you doing out there? He doesn't like, he has to be like convinced to join her. So that's my that's why I think he's selfish is she he never does anything that she she keeps giving like suggestions and kind of ideas on what they can do together in her last little bit and he's always like obstinate about all of them or just doesn't do them outright. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it selfishness. I would think it it's misplaced priority because it's the same it's the same idea of him uh he takes off his wedding ring and then loses it when he goes to surgery. Right. He's so concerned about the work, he's so concerned about the future that he forgets uh that he needs to live and his gamble is that he will get more time to live if he plans for the future and i i think that's that's a fun way to put it because yeah that's, that's a, that is good that's the yeah i just like oh man i, think I gotta the, pat myself on the back for that one because yeah. i didn't write that one down <laughs> <laughs> i think that the other thing I, maybe this is why i tie it to selfishness so much is because like wanting to be immortal which is a big theme throughout this movie mm-hmm. i think is inherently selfish so it's either it's either you decide to be immortal and, and because you continue to live, now you're taking resources away from like the generations that are going to come after you. Or you choose to be immortal and you don't have any children to kind of like offset that, but now you're denying like new life to come into the world. So I think being immortal is just inherently selfish, and to me that's like a theme in this movie. So the fact that he's trying to stop death, and I think there's other themes in the movie that imply – there's all kinds of stuff. That, I mean, it's called the fountains because they think they're going to get to the fountain of life and – be immortal yeah so i think maybe that's why i tie so much of this kind of like selfish narrative that tommy has to or tom or uh to 
being selfish is because he's he's trying to deny death, and that to me is like kind of an in- inherently selfish notion. I I think that the the text doesn't say that. I think that the film says um, not that it's selfishness, but it's like we don't. I don't want. I don't want pain. I don't want this pain for anyone. Um, it, it's he's he's ignoring all of the people around him, hurting all of the people around him for this this goal of of universal suffering. He doesn't. He wants to fix yeah. universal suffering. He describes death. He says it's a disease. Yeah, and he's going to figure out how to cure it. Like that's that's how he describes it himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I don't. I wouldn't call it selfishness as much as. Um, the reason I think it's selfish because he doesn't just do this out of just some kind of notion he has. He's he's doing this purely to save a person that he cares about and loves. Like it, that's he, why it's, it's not actually it's he's actually not just some secondary. single guy who's like, oh, I bet I, I guess I'll just cure death today. He's not just some guy who just decides to do this. He's doing it for a reason, and that's why I kind of equate it to the the selfishness. You know. Well, I'd actually even say that it's not about the immortal immortality part. Isn't selfishness because. He ignores the uh, the re- the results of um, the the first test of when the first compound. When that comes back, it's like, oh wow, he's testing like he's like he's younger. Like you're getting uh, neurological regrowth. Um, he says, no, our our focus is 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 tumors and um, um, abnormal growths. Like right. we're we're gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna worry about that. Like it's it's sel- that part is selfish because he's not trying to um, look to the future. You know. I guess that's for, like for everyone. He's yeah, looking I mean, more for his personal thing, and then once it gets to the idea of immortality or making people stop dying, it's an extension or a continuation of that same. Like I want to save Izzy, but now I don't want anybody to feel this pain. So that's why I don't. I don't think of it as selfish. I guess I think that's that's a good point. That kind of counters what I'm going with. But I think that's like one time in the movie, and I I just think I I got more vibes that of it. It just seems like he's doing this. It's a, this like facade that he's doing it for her and he's trying to save her, but it's like in to me it's like in reality he's he's doing it because he doesn't want to live without her. So it is about him to me. Like that's what I take from it. So I'm 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 cool with the the other thing I think that I wrote down at the very it's towards the end where they're they, it's this is gonna be like him being future self I guess. Do we want to get into that? Well, it kind of ties we into what we I'm talking pro- about. Yeah. Well, I guess yeah yeah see like that's the thing like everything is yeah, connected. Yeah, it's tough. Um, he says he's they're in the bubble and they're floating to Shibalba, um, that nebula, and he says like you'll blossom and I will live, which I wrote mm-hmm. that down and underlined it because again I and maybe that's just because I my opinion of his character throughout the movie I think he's he's doing it for himself because he doesn't want to live without her is because he he says like you will fl- like you'll blossom and I will live like it it is it, it that's why I think he's self it is about him he he wants it for himself because he. That's that's what I took from it, and I could be wrong, and that's fine, but that's what that's why I keep that's why I keep kind of circling back to that. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's 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 selfishness. It's that's the film being self aware and saying the point. Everything is connected. Death is death is life because, um, I mean, we can we can talk about the ending when we get when we get there because yeah, that's I didn't want to jump too far like, ahead, but that just kind of I was in that same vein, so I just wanted to mention it. Yeah. Yeah. So. What do you think about present day, like your your Tommy, like? Well, I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, he just uh, I think he has a problem accepting his wife's death. Um, it is inherently selfish, but he obviously doesn't mean to be selfish. Like he thinks he's saving her life, but the actions of trying to like stop death can be like it's just natural to try and stop it. It's your natural instinct. He thinks that he can, 
and he hasn't accepted the he, like uh, Izzy is in the stage of her life where she's accepted death and she's okay with it. She's ready to go. And so there's this moral compass that you think that he should be there with her because she's accepted it. And there's no way that he can save her. But that's not what's going on in his brain. His brain is, I have to do everything that I can to stop her. I just made this breakthrough. There's got, there's got to be something here that I can do. Yeah. Which is especially tragic when she dies. Cause and then he they missed the phone call. They literally have the yeah. breakthrough like right when yeah. she dies. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's heartbreaking, dude. I mean, it is. And like I understand like it is selfish, but like – in and that I guess, situation, yeah. like I would also be selfish. I when I like. when I say selfish, and you say he's selfish and doesn't mean to, that's what I mean. It's like yeah. it's not. I'm not saying he's consciously being like I'm doing this for me, and I'm I'm like I'm I'm conniving, and I have this secret plan to be like selfish, and I'm going to save her for myself. I I don't mean it like that. I just mean like the acts. What he's doing is like it. it it's like in and of themselves are selfish. Uh, well, yeah. it misses yeah, so the I, bigger yeah. picture. He doesn't yeah. see himself in the bigger picture. He right. sees but his he does, story. Like, I mean, it ha- like, he realizes that's what Izzy's trying to show him with the book, The Fountain. Exactly. That's that's all he, it's, he's, she's, and like, so the scene where she falls and she says she feels held. Mm-hmm. And then he I mean, he's like, yeah, I was there, Izzy, I held you. He doesn't, like, he's not getting what's going on with her. Yeah. And she kind of accepts that at that moment as well. Yeah, she says, she says, I felt full. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that that line that scene was great to me. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. There's just there's just so many things like I don't think Rachel Weiss's is her performance is particularly great in this film. It, there's not a whole lot there's not a whole lot of her in the movie to be That's honest. Weird. Yeah, I yeah. think she's actually I actually really like her a lot in it. Like I think of like the the bathtub scene where he's like kind of washing her off and he, he, she like makes a joke about how like like who's the redhead or something cuz he, he's missing his ring. Oh yeah. And she yeah. makes a joke about him cheating on her and and he gets really upset. But she's just trying to make a joke, and then they like end up in the bathtub together. And I, I, I was, I was watching. And I was like, "What a like this seems like a real genuine couple who is like going through something really hard." And that was like a real genuine scene where I was like, "This is like a lot of love going on here." And I, I really liked the performances, and I bought them like hook, line, and sinker. I, I, I thought it was really great, and I thought Rachel Weisz's, especially that scene, was one like standout to me. I was like, because again, I think it's like the beginning of her acceptance that she's gonna die because. She mentions that she can't feel hot or cold anymore, and yeah, and I and she's kind of that's like her first big nudge to uh, Tom is that he, you know, she's like, I know I'm going, like, can you just be here with me now? And they, he is there with her now, which he's kind of not throughout the movie, and so I thought it was a great scene. So yeah, yeah, I, I think Rachel Weisz is actually really good in this. I I think she's, I, it's a really good performance. Yeah, I I th- and I love the the snowball scene. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of real joy and real fun yeah. between the characters that feels organic, especially the way it's shot with that camera back and uh, um, off in the corner as it's staring at the ba- uh, at the awning basically. Right. And he throw and Hugh Jackman throws a, or Tom throws snow at Izzy and she gives like what feels like a really organic like goofy laugh. Yeah, yeah. I I love that. But more what I mean is relative to. Um, the opportunities that Hugh Jackman is given to really express a wide emotional range, she doesn't have those as much. That's fair. Yeah, yeah I mean that. That's. Yeah, I just think when, whenever she's, she's on not screen, on, yeah. she's not on the screen enough to really have a bunch of character development. But when yeah. she is, I think she's great. Yeah, yeah. I think she's. Uh, I don't know that she's better or worse. I don't want to like compare her to Hugh Jackman's performance, but I think they're they're just both so good in this. Like, while I don't like track the story or love the story all the time i enjoy seeing like they're just both great on screen together okay and then so i guess past then how do we what do we think of their uh the those characters or those actors in the past and what do we think of the overall timeline in general so i mean it was my idea i i don't know i mean could be completely off on this but i think the past is just him reading the book right that's it right 
Like you're the expert on this, Calvin. Because well, we'll that's t- what I think. We'll, that... we'll talk about final theories at the end. Okay. 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 I'm glad you said I feel that, James. Because yeah, I think the like, same thing. And I think she's. I mean, in the story is just. I mean, like, so there's a scene where uh, there's a car driving and it's upside down and then it flips to the car going forward. Mm-hmm. And then moments after that, there's a scene with a horse doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's both like Hugh Jackman racing to get these things done to like. I thought it was great. Sorry. I, I made a uh, note of that too because it's 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 Hugh Jackman's character in both different timelines rushing to do something for either his wife Izzy that he thinks is important or like the queen. Yeah. Which his character in the past is finds important, which is portrayed by, you know, uh, yeah, the same Rachel, person. Yeah, so. Rachel Weisz. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I just think that the the book that she wrote is like trying to not only help him accept death, but telling the story of like what he's going through right now and what he's trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like it's as much, it's as much a uh, a creation myth as it is a love story. Yeah, and I I love that idea. It is very cool. Yeah, and I guess like to the other reason I kind of think it's it's the book or whatever is. Um, Izzy is talking to Tommy when she goes to the hospital after she's collapsed. And he's talking about how he's like, they're, they're going to have a breakthrough. And she calls him. She's like, oh, my conquistador. Yeah. And that's why that's like, mm-hmm. like again, I guess we can get into more final theories. I just think there's a lot of nods that, you know, this is like kind of, I thought the book was the past. But anyways, uh, I think it's neat there. I was reading that there's like kind of posture differences that Hugh Jackman is pretty conscious of. He wanted... He wanted uh, each of like his so different. So Tomas is the is Tomas, the yeah. one in uh, it's the past one, in, right? Yeah, in the past. But he wanted each character to kind of take on like a different kind of feel, different look. And so like when he plays Tomas, he's like more aggressive. He's like he's very upright, straight posture. He's like very moving forward. And then when he's playing Tommy or Tom in the present so, tense, so he's Tommy, like kind of more. So Tommy, Tommy is present. Tom is future. Um, Tom or astronaut, you could call it that. Okay, okay. And then Tomas is the one. The only reason past. I keep saying Tommy is because that's what popped up in the uh, the subtitles when I had it on. So yep. I keep saying Tommy for present tense, but we can yep. do that. That makes more sense. So Tom would be the future of the astronaut, and, and then... Ellen Burstyn's character calls him Tommy. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, but but Tommy's like more hunched over, and then the mm-hmm. obviously the kind of future version has like a very kind of uh, yoga poses and stuff like that. He's yeah, he's very, very sound posture. Yeah. yeah. So they all kind of like take on like a different style, which I think is cool, and I think I I definitely like picked up on that while watching it. I think they they carry themselves differently. It's the same actor, but these characters are different still. Mm-hmm. So uh, like one thing, like one scene I loved about like the past tense, uh, Tomas is when he gets stabbed. Like that felt like I had a lot of empathy in that scene. Like I felt like I was almost there with him because like just the camera view, and like his acting, and I was like, oh shit, like I'm scared right now. Like what happens? Like is this dude gonna die? If I'm gonna see this through his view? And it, that scene, that scene hit me pretty good. I thought it was pretty wild. I like when I he he why. like lifts his shirt up and looks at the yeah. Wound. That was like it, it blew my mind, dude. Like, like I, that I, was wild. I can't yeah. imagine being like a gunshot or a stab wound like that. It's yeah. like that would be the first thing. I'd be like, oh my god, what is happening to my body? And right he now? just like pushes like, on it right away. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's scared for his life. And yeah, like, I felt that in that scene in that moment. I thought that was they done super super well. Yeah, he conveys that really well in that yeah. scene. I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's interesting too how they um the the past. The past deals with um, mythological traditions. So you have uh, Mayan culture as opposed to the Christian Catholic tradition um, Tradition at the same time. And it's weird what the film... I, I, I want to know what, what you all think the, the film is saying here um, about Christianity versus like the Mayan myths. Um, maybe the Mayans are more upfront about the bad shit that they did. I mm. think it's also like... 
That's what I would say. Catholicism is known for being sneaky and doing bad things behind closed doors. Yeah. I yeah. think it's more like maybe modern Catholicism, but I think like the, the roots of it are different. So like I think Christians and kind of that kind of culture is obsessed with like kind of eternal life. Like after we die, we, we go somewhere and we continue living, which again is like that's uh, I think a theme in this movie is immortality, like this this kind of idea that we get to continue going. Whereas the Mayan myth is that the the first father he sacrifices himself like he he kills himself to like create the earth he, his his uh body becomes the roots and like his uh his his limbs become the bloom and his head becomes shababa what is it what part of him becomes a spirit in the sky isn't there S- i can't remember what his spirit becomes i made a note maybe I'll the maybe it. the air but uh but there was like he accepts death to the point that he's like He's he's fully gonna. He knows he's gonna die. He's gonna do this for a greater purpose. Where I think like Christianity has this like. It's very comforting to be a Christian because you can know that you're gonna die and go somewhere, and that's kind of a a construct that we've made as human beings, and it's it's comfortable to believe that, and it's reassuring to believe that. Whereas I think the Mayan kind of that that myth, it 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 accepts death, and it it sees death as uh what is it? He says it's a like death is his death is his awe or something. Death is the road to awe. Yeah, which is a great line. Love it's, that. Yeah, it's like it's it's this, it's this really important purpose that this first father carries out. Whereas I think that Catholicism kind of views death in a different way, where it's like death is just you getting to then go to heaven and continue living. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that because I think I think it, it the Catholicism is portrayed poorly in this film obviously because it's in the height of the inquisition um but i don't think they're saying different things which i think is is kind of hmm. kind of the kind of weird when you compare the tones uh because the inquisitor talks about how um the flesh will decay these bodies are prisons um yeah exactly right so they I, I guess you're right <coughs> i guess in terms of the movie they are saying the same thing because he thinks it's like a because he's like mad at the queen for wanting immortality yeah on earth because our rewards are in heaven our we live forever somewhere else yeah i guess contextually in the film what i said doesn't really make sense but i think but i think that's what you're it it feels like that's that should be the um the takeaway because of how he approached it like this is uh you know like when he takes out um the map another one of uh the queen's lands for us and he smears blood across it like it's a brain that's a great scene yeah is a brain and he's just covering a new uh cortex there's some visually really i didn't see that one there's visually really good stuff in this like that there's like uh, the part was gross yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's beating he's whipping his body because like it's a it's a prison. Yeah, he's got like a cat of nine tails just Literally going like, after it. Like that scene came out, I was like, just stop. Yeah. Oh my god. <clears throat> uh another uh, like a little off track, another visually like great scene, which I thought was CGI, was when he, he um this is present tense Tommy, he's looking up through like a skylight because they're trying to figure out how to do this brain surgery on that mm-hmm. monkey. And he looks up, and it's like it looks like kind of the Chibalba Nebula. Yeah. Like, and he sees it through like the skylight, and I, I, I like honestly the snow is melting like around it, like that. Yeah. That was awesome. There's yeah. some really yeah. visually great scenes I wrote in that this one movie. Down. I was like, that scene yeah. is stunning. Like that one yeah. was done really well. Yeah, yeah, and I do, and that is uh, another one of those uh, macro lens shots, and just dropping uh, certain cameras. And they just there. superimpose that on top of the film they already have, like for the skylight. Yep. So that that skylight is probably just like uh, a green screen. Wow. Um, taped over a window. I love that. That's so cool to me. Yeah, That's amazing that cool. how they did that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess <coughs> do we have more to talk about Conquistador Hugh Jackman or 
do we want to move on to future Hugh Jackman? I'm trying to think if there if there's anything else that I really want to cover as far as the um, I mean, well, what about because the whole point we were coming back here was the um, the the relationship between him and uh, Izzy. So Isabel is right. Obviously, yeah. something we haven't talked about. Uh, just real quick, so like one thing that I noticed too is like his relationship with his like his like guard or whatever his soldiers that are with him is similar to the way that he feels sometimes like, for his colleagues in the future. Mm. He feels like they're betraying them. They they don't have his back. They think he's crazy and he should be going this way. And yeah. I wonder if that's like if if the interpretation is that this is a book that Izzy wrote. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great yeah. uh, little little thing. Like she she is more aware of what's going on yeah. around him than he seems to Cause be. Because he's just focused on the goal, and he's just like when any like like when the the woman doctor like she doesn't respond to him like what he needs right away. He's like, hey, after this, get like get the other monkey prepped. I think she like tears her mask off like she's so yeah upset. she's so frustrated and like his his assistant or whoever he is goes and helps him or he's like I'll take care of it like yeah. don't worry, don't worry about her yeah I oh, think sorry, that stuff Donovan. I think that stuff really parallels. The past tense one, uh, Tomas, because uh, he has that Captain Ariel. Ariel? I'm not sure. I Avidal. Yeah, is that who you're talking about? Avidal. Father Avidal? No. No, uh, no, no. The guy uh, played by. With a beard. He's played by mm. Cliff Curtis. He has, like, the head wrap on. Yeah, I don't he's remember. He's, like, his, his second. Name. But he does the same thing towards the end. He's, like, he's pushed us too far. Yeah. Like, he's going too far. And and I think that's the same way. I think Jane's totally right. That's how his colleagues act. They're, like, he's going too far. Like, he's not he's not being safe about this. He's He's taking all these, like, He's making all these decisions without uh, thinking about the consequences, which I think Tomas does as well, because he's willing to do whatever it takes to find this fountain. Yeah. And he for the he's lost sight of the priorities. Right. It's the same. It's mirrored exactly in the pr in yeah. the from past to present. I think all of them, when we get into the future one, I think they all really mirror the same guy, just kind of told in a different way. And that's again, that's why I like the theory of it being a book like what you said where she's more aware of how he's acting than than he is yeah yeah because it does it like they mirror each other so well i think that's really good uh yeah so i mean so obviously isabel um do you like the fact that she's here does she does she help move the the plot in a way that you find it's really i don't want to say like contrived or boring but it's like this guy is like so devoted to her that she could just say anything and he's going to do it. I don't think there was a lot of like build up that went into him like going to find the fountain because there was like he does say one line uh he's what does he say he he's um father uh, Avila Avidal I thought Avila whatever or it's either it's either Avidal or Avila Avila yeah that's what I have pulled up it's Avila A V I L A. Yeah, you can Vila correct Vila. me. I can't be yeah, wrong. No, no. <laughs> Which is great. Sometimes. He's he's played by uh Bark Margolis who is uh uh, Hector Salamanca from Breaking Bad. I was Ooh. really ding, excited. Ding, 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 ding. I was really excited to see him in this because he's great in Breaking Bad despite like never saying anything. Uh, yeah, he does oh, yeah. a great job. Just his facial expressions is like some of the best acting I've seen on television. So <laughs> I love when he gets interviewed by like the police and he basically spells out. I can't remember what he says, but he's basically like "fuck you" or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like this long scene to like spell it out. He's great in that show, and he's great in this too. Um, he talks about how they found the Fountain of Youth basically, and uh, this daggers got kind of like a map on it it's going to lead him to it and uh tomas says he's like oh you, you you giving us tales of pagan yarns which i think is just a great line yeah like it's i think it's I, I made a note of it i think it's a really good line so like I, I guess initially he doesn't believe in it but then like as soon as isabella <sighs> tells him to go and do it he immediately just does it mm -hmm. so kind of any apprehension he has always just evaporates as soon as she says something so i don't think there's a lot of like drama or tension between them because he's just going to do anything she says yeah, and I think it, it it's meant to mirror um, the purpose 
and the goal. Like it's that it's that almost religious zeal that he has in the present. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, literally being in the in the past, uh, taken from her. Like, because uh, I love how he says when he charges at some point, like through her or by her word or by her grace, we will live forever. Yeah. And meant obviously for the, the when we when we tie everything together, that'll make a lot more sense. Yeah. No, I, and I think if you if you think of it as as a book describing the way he's acting, it's like he's so cut off from like the rest of the world and what's going on that he's just going to do whatever she says that he's going to do whatever it takes to like find this cure find this eternal life which absolutely mirrors what tommy's doing he's gonna he's gonna do whatever it takes to cure his wife and that's why i think it, it, there's like a really clear parallel between like it, it's sort of like a uh kind of a overbloated version of himself like a a more extreme version of himself in the past yeah yeah uh, like like uh, um like a caricature Right, yeah. Overbloated was the wrong. No, yeah. overbloated is the right is the right thing, but I think yeah, what you're getting at is specifically a caricature of himself. Yeah, yeah, and so I think it's that's why I like the way he is in the past because it's like it's yeah more extreme version of what he's doing in the present. Like mm-hmm. yeah, he like so when uh, the Mayans come out like in in the beginning of the movie when they come down off the pyramid and there's many of them going compared to one of him and well, he has two two soldiers with him, like, no, fuck this, we're out of here. Like, there's no way we're doing, we're going to die. And he says anything for her, and, like, there's zero, zero chance that he wins this fight. I mean, he does, right. he starts off pretty decent, like, he's got, got some hands, dude, he can fight. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, some at the end of the day, like, bones. yeah, yeah, he's, he's got some skills, he's picked World War Two, World War One. I, mean, <laughs> we've all seen them. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, like, yeah, I mean, he was just acting whack, man, you know? Like in this scene, like he, there's there's no there's no point. Like he's being crazy. Like he's an insane person. He's so driven towards this goal that it doesn't matter what the obstacle is. And and I think it's just like an overblown overblown uh, like portray uh, yeah character p- yeah, portrayal yeah, of that portrayal same of him. Yeah, I really like that you said that. It's like the odds are so against him. Like yeah. he's absolutely not gonna win, which is yeah. essentially what the odds are against him in his present day. Mm-hmm. Like he's not gonna win. She's gonna die. And that's such a good way to put it. It's like the the beginning of the movie basically tells what the whole movie is about. Yeah. It's like it's yeah. a guy who's doing something that he can never be victorious, but he's gonna go through it anyways. Yeah, and I love the 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 very first few lines of the whole film. Um, the the two that he's with are are staring at the the long trap. It's it's they're like it's it's a trap. I got I got like, so many uh like Raiders of the Lost Ark vibes from that. Like yeah, <laughs> it, that's right? exactly what it seemed like. Yeah, to me. and he was like, yes, yes, it is. What are we gonna do? We're gonna break through. Yeah, and um, I loved that he said breakthrough because that's we've had a breakthrough. Yeah, in yeah. the present, and it's literally meant to be. I think an allegory of uh his scientific drive trying to to get something that um you know he's being pressed upon by um for izzy in the in the present and isabel in the past there's no there's no there's no meaning behind it other than their um them giving her giving him the goal to go do it and so it's just blind faith we're gonna go through it it's very similar um like there's no there's a very small chance that he is able to accomplish his purpose is what it says and so same thing in the in the present we're going to keep working and working this is very small chance that i will be able to cure her tumor or live forever but it's the for him it's the journey because that's the it's the motivation of the journey wow okay i'm liking this movie more the more we talk about it keeps happening 
Yeah. When he talks about movies like this. Uh, like, yeah, initially I was like, this movie's kind of okay. It's it's conceptually pretty good, and the performances are great, but I was like, I didn't really buy the story that much. The so, more we talk, I'm like, wow, okay, this is really so good. So I, I liked it, and, like, one thing uh, that you pointed out to me before we even watched the movie, you were like, it's only 96 minutes long, which I feel is a detriment to the movie. Like, I mean, they, they do mm-hmm. a good job, like, don't get me wrong. It is really short. Yeah, but I think there could have been so much more content in this. There could have been more, and I would have... Like I would have enjoyed a lot more Conquistador Hugh Jackman. Like, I think that's that's. I mean, I was mm, a big fan of that. I think part, that all so. ends up being like a budget thing. Yeah, and considering I, I mean, considering obvious, kind yeah. of the trials this movie went through even to get made. Yeah, I assume the runtime is more a reflection of budget rather it's than vision. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It. I get more. I get more sense out of uh, it coming from uh, Requiem of a Dream. There's too much hip hop editing. Too thing. Things are too short, despite how. Um, you know how cinematic everything is then the way he's constructed so many scenes like we didn't have we didn't there was one scene in i am sam that i i found um oh that's a really interesting uh frame and picture and that's something i I, like that's i storyboarded that just on my um my notes because like oh finally something interesting to look at those are everywhere they're everywhere but some of them only last like two or three seconds and there's just a million of them that you just kind of get this sense that things are always changing and that things mean something but you don't you don't know what and it's very hard to take in especially on a first go yeah yeah i guess that yeah like i said this is my first time watching it so i wasn't really catching or uh, that wasn't my focus watching this my focus was again like the the characters and everything but I, I do agree with you, like, when we talk about I Am Sam, and it's like, it's the filmmaking style is so distracting from the story, whereas this, it, it, it absolutely enhances the story in every way. It's, yeah, it's, it it's is so good. It's, it's like that the, concept oh. of mise-en-scene, everything within a frame right. is, is is curated specific for a purpose. Right. So not only did it, like, distract from the movie, it distracted our, from our conversation about what the movie was about in general. I didn't learn about anything discussing I Am Sam with you guys. I've learned already a bunch of things about this movie like just having mm-hmm. conversations yeah, right no, that's, now. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And I, I think if, if if you're gonna make a film and you your film is so distracting from the narrative, then you haven't made a very good film. I so, think so too, yeah. And and that's absolutely not what this movie is. It's it's done in a way that it it is everything, every shot, especially the score that accompanies all these scenes is mm. is, is helps every scene so much. Like yeah. there's like a different tone in the score when you're with like future Tom there's kind of like a different sense when it's Tommy and Tomas, like they, they all like play together to create like really great scenes. I think I, I, I really like the score in this. It's really good, but yeah. do we want to, are we done with Tomas? Or are we going to move to future? Yeah, film? I think, I think we're more or less done with Tomas because yeah, like Isabel just isn't that much. A, she's really just an archetype. Like, so yeah. She's just like a, like a plot point. Here you go. Move forward. Yeah. And like, that's what she's there for, which think, is okay. Yeah. Like there's not an issue with that. There's not a whole lot of runtime here. So yeah. Cause that's we what don't she need is her character developed because it's just a reflection of her character in the present. Yeah, so. exactly. And it's yeah. the same thing in the future anyway. Yeah. So, and I want to go through like, these characters, but I think it's always, especially with this movie, it's good to kind of get like what's their basic story out of the way first because later on we'll talk about how they all tie in together. So I don't want to get into the tie in together immediately. Right. I, I want to explore like kind of what are they like individually. So yeah, uh, Tom is the future. Yeah, I read that it takes place in two thousand five hundred. I don't know that they didn't. They never specifically say that. So I don't know how you would. I don't know who got that or if there's an interview with Darren Aronofsky where he says that. Maybe I missed it, but like yeah. I don't ever remember there being a specific time where they said it. So, the future self is what is the is the thing that makes me doubt my um, my thought that it's the book. Because mm-hmm. like, when the fuck is this real? Is this happening? What's going on? Because I'm still a little bit confused about that. I don't know. 
And uh, that's okay. That's what I hit you for, Calvin. Calvin uh, has a good question for us at the end. Yeah. I think uh, kind of makes you wonder, like, what what part of the what elements of the story should we be are real or should we focus on? Yeah. So, and I think that the future self really kind of lends itself to that. Yeah, that's that, that's 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 what makes me doubt. Like, it's part of the book, the past is just the future. This the future self presence in the movie. Yeah. So I I think that some people might have come up with a timeline. Um, if you if you think about the tattoos on right. his arm as being individual years, right? And because when he says all these years as he's tattooing himself, yeah, yeah, I I think it's meant to be taken both figuratively and literally that those rings um are meant to connote a sense of time. Yeah, I just I because I I read that fact on like IMDb, and so that's just like people who kind of post stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, because there's like there's like uh fun facts. It's there's like a massive section sometimes. Yeah, um, like the trivia stuff. And so I read it from there, and that's why I kind of take that one as a grain of salt. Because unless unless the director came out and said it took place in this year, I don't know that I really believe it. I, I know it's, I honestly I didn't even really think of it as a future self. I thought mm. it is more of like kind of a spiritual version of himself that is had nothing to do with time. It was just kind of maybe. Uh, an outside perspective, like his own perspective, but taking a view from the outside of his story. So yeah, that was the character. And I didn't really equate it to any kind of time period. I just thought of it as like maybe like a mental picture he had created of this experience he's going through where he has the tree that's supposed to kind of symbolize Izzy, like symbolize Izzy. And I never really equated it to being a certain time period. So like uh so I did I did equate it to the future but I did write down a note it was like this reminds me a lot of Aang and the Spirit Realm and Avatar the Last Airbender. Yeah. I'm like this okay, is yeah. like very very similar to that. Well just the way he starts out the first time so the movie starts out with uh Tomas like the conquistador and then it cuts to him uh, you know like future Tom. Yeah, screaming this is you have the met the of the crossfade. Well not a crossfade. You literally match on action match on sound of Tomas screaming and then uh, Tom screaming. Yeah, but then I think your his character is like so different. I think than Tomas because then he's like he's in this like kind of yoga position, just kind of floating in space, mm-hmm. and he's a much more peaceful, calm character than Tomas is. And then just uh, I mean he he's constantly like whispering to the tree, and he's like I'll I'll, I'll keep you alive. Like we'll uh, I'll you know we'll he's yeah. very comforting kind of character. He's so different than Tomas's. But then again, it's like they have like the same purpose, like they have the same goal. In all these mm-hmm. different timelines, yeah. but the the character's portrayal his, is so what, different. Yeah, what would you say his purpose is in this one? So he's trying to get to. I think there's some kind of notion that if he gets to Shabalba, it'll resurrect the tree. That's why I think I, I. That's why I mentioned the line like "You'll blossom and I will live." It's like the idea of this kind of they'll be together again, like she'll be living. Because I think he just kind of has, while he is, in the future in that bubble with the tree, he has visions of Izzy but it's only to kind of take him to the past. It's not like a literal Izzy with him. I think that kind of literal Izzy with him is the tree. So, but I, I think the actual purpose is, is kind of in line with what Tomas and Tommy are trying to do is the whole point is to bring life back to Izzy. Like, I think it's, it's a little different because it, Tommy, his wife is dying. Tomas is trying to achieve eternal life for Isabella. And with Tom in the future, the tree is like it, she's already dead and he's trying to like bring her back but i think essentially it's the same deal it's like it's it's this eternal life it's 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 having his partner back with him and having a life with her and so i think like 
the goals that's why that's why i think they all parallel each other really well is because the, the goal is still like essentially the same just kind of told in a different way so that's what i think his purpose is uh like future tom so uh i would say his his purpose is the the acceptance of death because uh tomas and tommy so tomas ends life like ends his life ends with him just didn't trying to deny death to the to his last second like he's dipping into the tree and he's trying to save himself and so tom is the only one who's like i'm gonna die and he says that and he floats out of the bubble with the tree into peace which is exactly what izzy was trying to show him the entire time and the even at her funeral it's that's what she says even for such a young person she was so accepting she was so ready for this i think that's, that's a little different though because that's sort of touching into the end and how these stories tie together i mean i think tom in the future is he's not accepting of death throughout his time in the bubble. No, but he learns to, and that's his purpose. Each each person, I see what you're saying. I really like that, because that's not something I realized. The way each story ends is, so Tomas um, dies on accident. Um, Tommy wants to cure death, and then Tom, the astronaut, just finally, yeah, just accepts his, his death. Yeah. I, I, and that is so, it's literally uh, the evolution of a whole character archetype from from accident to intention to um full acceptance of what of what death even is oh man that is see even me i've seen this film eight or ten times and that specific connection to me hasn't necessarily been made because there's because uh the way the way i see the the past or i mean i'm sorry the way i see the present and the future i don't I see those as a as a continuation of the same character, but the way that they narratively end is definitely that way, and I yeah. love that. Which is done, and that's so cool because it's it's the same character, but it's three different ways, and that they all kind of coalesce together to like spell out like a really cool ending. Like, mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's 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 really that's why this movie is so interesting. It's having all these different characters, but they're also the same character, and they reach a conclusion. Um, because they work together to reach it, uh, it's really cool. It's yeah, really good. Almost simultaneously. like uh, Even though, and I think that's the way that the film pr uh, approaches time, is that all of these things are different timelines. They're different, they're different characters. They're different points of a life. Everything is connected in such a way that um, they're all happening at the same time. Right. Because that's the way, it, it's, it's, it's more of an Eastern tradition of like, of like Taoism or, or the way or like certain quantum theories about how everything is connected at the same time. Like, past the the future isn't necessarily contingent on the past um the past is also contingent on the future yeah and i think that's um that's why it, it ends up it ends up being that way so we, what what are your thoughts on future tom what do you think what do you think his purpose is uh the purpose of it is the entire aesthetic of the film um Ground control to Major Tom. I help myself, dude. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry if I interrupted you, buddy. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. But yeah, like, uh, uh, it is. It is the same. It's a. Uh, it's a continuation of the whole uh, idea. The whole drive to um, keep Izzy alive um, and deny death, or death in a in a conscious sense. Um, the film keeps driving at the fact that. Um, Everybody, everybody actually, but Tom, Tommy, Hugh Jackman's character, 
underst- seems to understand it or at least isn't fighting against it like he, he he's, he's like you know when when we talked about how uh one who's so young she um didn't go out kicking and screaming and whereas like literally just before when the tree died at the same time that uh izzy dies he's literally screaming and slapping the tree yeah. no 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 yeah. no and just oh that i want to i want to talk about that wrenching. scene um I've been waiting to get to this part. So in Calvin's first episode where we had a little interview with him and we asked you like, what's one of your favorite scenes you've seen on film? And this is the one you were talking about, right? Where he's like, he's both it, of them actually. Yeah. There's two, there's two um, very similar ones. But yeah, he's yelling. Yeah. You know, he's, he's just heartbroken that this, this tree, which is it, it, now that I've seen the movie, I totally get why you picked this as one of your favorite scenes. It's really good. Uh, yeah. His, yeah, Hugh Jackman is amazing in this. His emotion in it, and I totally buy into the connection he has with this this tree. And it's not just like a, it's not just a tree. It's obviously like it symbolizes his like love for his wife, and it's it is his wife. And I totally buy that scene. I totally get why you. It's one of your favorites. It it is. It's really good. Like yeah, it's, I was it's... I was excited when you brought this up as your favorite because I was like, okay, cool. We get to see like Calvin's favorite scene, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it, and you did not disappoint. This it's really really well done. Yeah, it's it's all of these these uh these sim the the elements of the of symbolism and uh, emotion and I mean I th- I think if you listen to the podcast at all I have a really big problem with staying in the moment. Everything extends out into the the wider array of human experience of reality in general and what e- even is the nature of reality to conscious beings and um. And our place within them. You so, get off the rails, but I love it. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's great. And that's that I need. That's like like I need to be grounded. But that's why I love films like this that are totally ungrounded, and they're just everywhere. And they say everything all at the same time. Everything's all interconnected, and it's just it's just a beautiful way to look at life. Sometimes, like all of these little things build up to to create characters and everything even within the characters they're all connected to other characters who are connected to it's just branches and branches and branches and when you start to look at um everything as being universal it all it all makes not more sense but it all feels different you know right there's 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 a there's agency and there's um a sense of of uh warmth almost in letting allowing yourself to be a part of the wider picture rather than focusing on yourself in your own personal journeys right yeah no i i just uh yeah i keep liking this movie more i'm, I'm actually i want to throw it on again uh, I just, yeah, <laughs> oh, I, i'm really yeah. excited to yeah see absolutely this again. and we haven't even really talked about any of it so okay <laughs> so if we're if we're moving on from from tom the astronaut uh what's your what's your next like discussion point what are you what are we doing now um so i want to talk about uh the style the style is so important um let's let's just talk about lighting for um for the whole film i have a comment on the lighting and this is not really like an important one this is just a it's gonna be an end tip nitpick, just because I, uh, because I've been in an operating room before. Like I've scrubbed in, and I've been in an operating room, and it is incredibly brightly lit because <laughs> you're doing major surgery, and you need yeah, to be able to see dim. what's going on. And when they, the first scene where Tommy's doing surgery on the on the monkey, it's like so dim, and yeah. they even like call the light over, which is still not even that helpful. And again, I don't think that's that's not really the point, because the the point is like kind of the aesthetic, the feel they want for the film, not 
being like actually like accurate on how you would be in an OR. But I just that I made a note of that. I was like, this is not. I've been in an OR. It is so bright in there. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like it, it's like they have like one light bulb like a lamp on in there. It's it's so dim. Yeah. But uh, but I I I think uh, like aesthetically, I I think it all fits. We had talked about in I Am Sam. I think tonally, this movie that movie doesn't know what it's doing. Mm-hmm. This movie has a clear tone and yeah. it has a, a clear vision that's being then displayed in the film. And there's never a scene that I don't think is cohesive with the scene that went before it or the scene that comes after it. I think it's all it's a very specific style, and obviously like lighting and cinematography and and uh, the score all plays a role in that. And that's how I would describe kind of the feel or look of this movie. And, it's all cohesive. It all makes sense for the film that it's in. It's all Ton- tonally, it's all it's all very like it, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so, what I meant more by by lighting is let's let's track how the lighting changes. So the first scene um, in the past, everything's dark, black. They're in the you know Death Valley Gulch, whatever yeah. Raiders of the Lost. The moonlight Ark. seems very realistic to me. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And then we get to um, the future. Everything is black um, because he's still uh, not near Shababa yet. Um, and then we get to the present. And just like you said, the OR is very poorly lit. Yeah. I was going to say, it, yeah, dark is definitely yep. – if you want to describe the lighting, dark is absolutely the whole – and that's why – yeah, just bring that up again. It's all cohesive. Even though they bounce around from these different timelines, it's all it all makes sense it's because it's all the same tone. Yeah, because yeah. it's a reflection of our our perspective of each one at the same time. When that is there, this is the same thing as what's happening here. And it's so what happens is as the ship gets closer to uh, Shababa, you'll notice the lighting actually gets brighter. Um, the lighting in the um, in the laboratory gets a little bit brighter. We also oh, and also I mean in the in the present we also like when he first gets home, uh, everything's it's night, everything's black. Um, and this, the day comes up, but there's blinds and everything. So there's, there's like a, this, this muted lighting that kind of adds a little bit of warmth, but we're not, we're not to Shababa yet. And as we get to Shababa, light gets brighter and brighter. Um, and, uh, ultimately culti- uh, culminating in when he, um, when he attacks the doctor, Izzy dies and he attacks the doctor and throws him up against the blinds, and the blinds break, and he's confronted with the light, which is symbolic of Shibaba because that's why everything keeps getting brighter. So he is confronted with the truth, the harsh reality of death. I actually hadn't caught that. The, the main part of the lighting that I caught is definitely when Tom gets to Shibaba and, like, it's so bright, like, all the color is, like, washed out of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like... It, I actually, at first, I thought I was like, "Wow, this is, did they not realize what they were doing here?" And it's like, after a minute, I was like, "Okay, it's clearly like intentional because it the rest of this movie has been so intentional. So why would the end not be?" But I was actually like, "I was like, oh my god, the lighting's so bad in this." <laughs> like, I was like, "It's everything is washed out. It's just like a white screen almost with like you can see some eyes in it." Um, but it's yeah. It, uh, uh, the more I got into the scene, I was like, "Okay, this is intentional." And I actually didn't pick up on the the, the other timelines picking up in terms of light because mm. I guess you could also say that when Tomas gets to the end of his um, kind of story he confronts the warrior at the top of the temple and he has a, a sword on fire which would I, I think to me could be the light and then also when he gets to the tree it's daytime um, whereas the whole kind of initial fight takes place in the middle of the night so mm-hmm. it, yeah you're right I guess I didn't equate those or like kind of match those up together but that's a really good point I yeah, yeah. I hadn't noticed that 
So, like, as far as I saw the lighting, uh, so, like, it goes along the basic vinyl lines of the acceptance of death. So, when he's kind of, like, going to his past self mentally, when he's in, like, near Shavalba or whatever, when he's in space with the hairy tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he decides <laughs> there's a point in time. So, like, like in, I noticed this first when the, he's Tomas and he's speaking with Isabella or mm-hmm. Isabel. Everything is bright around her. She is just this, like, it's, there's a scene where it's, like, just all white around her. Mm. And I think she represents the acceptance of death. And then when he finally decides to go back in the past and decides to not go into the OR and go out and see the first snow with Izzy, yeah. it's super bright out there because you see the snow and everything's reflected off of it and it's super bright. And at that moment, he's starting to accept it. She had always seen. And then he leaves the tree and it gets brighter there as well. And I think that that's all kind of, like, the lighting, like, is as much as part of the story as anything else here. Yeah, yeah boy, oh boy, I love that. Yeah, that's a really good. There's more. Really good take. And there's, there's more lighting stuff that's also fun. And you yeah. notice not only did he attack the um the doctor and he knocked the blinds off. Think of the number of times he hit a lamp. There was one where he was sitting on the bed and he throws his hands. I do remember that one. Yeah, and that one fell. He's also in his office one time and hits the one that's spinning because he doesn't he doesn't want to be confronted by the light hmm. and. Um, another fun visual thing is uh, the stars. As the stars get brighter and they get closer to Shababa, and those are those are in other places. They visually represent that in um, one time in the office, um, at the same time that he hit the the swivel desk lamp. He, there's track lighting above him that's just like the stars. It's the same color. And when he gets to the throne room and he's going to see Isabel, he walks through um just like it's 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 just like one shot where it shows the uh bubble spaceship going through space with all the lights behind oh, it yeah. and you all of those candles are lit and they're the same color and tone as yeah. the and it's just those like, are great shots like yeah. they're so it, they're 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 great on their own and then, then the fact that they're mirrored in another timeline yeah. just for the just for the sake of it like they're not it's 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 like just nothing in particular layer. is happening in those scenes. It's just kind of the bubble floating through space. And that's, again, that's why I really think the score is so good in this because it just – nothing is necessarily happening in the scene in and of itself. But seeing that, like, bubble float through the stars and then it has this great score behind it, it conveys so much, like, emotion and, and it, it, it just really, like, uh, keeps in in line with, like, the tone of the whole film. And it just, like – you're just watching essentially nothing happen. But it's just like it, it, it keeps you in the moment. It keeps you in this film all the way. Like that's the, that's what I'm saying. So much of this film is just so cohesive. Yeah, and oh, I'm sorry. Wait, wait. I I wanted to say something. I want to get this on my chest, and it has nothing to do with the film. It's not the film's fault. Every time we keep saying Shibalba, I think of that movie Road to El Dorado. It's like the DreamWorks movie. The movie's awesome. It's yeah, well, great. But like, <laughs> why is Shababa in that? So they have like this sort of like whirlpool like in their in El Dorado. They're, they're also Mayans. So yeah, 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 yeah. And so, like, so the two, the two like Spaniards show up and they think they're gods or whatever, and they're given all this treasure and they don't know what Shababa means, and so the kind of like the the chief in charge of everything, he's like to Shababa, and they're like to Shababa, they're all like <laughs> excited about it, and they just start dumping all this gold and treasure into Shababa, which is like this this whirlpool, and it's it takes people away, and it's it's the same thing, it's like the, this like death god type thing, or it's the end of time, it's the end of life. And that's what I think of. Uh, it's not a detriment to this movie. I just <laughs> I saw Road to El Dorado before I saw this, so when I hear the word Shababa, I think of that movie. <laughs> and so this is supposed to be a really serious film and has like really serious topics it talks about. But every time we say Shababa, I think of that movie. <laughs> so hopefully, like after talking about this enough, I can uh, uh, associate that that word with 
a, a better film. Not that Road to El Dorado is bad, but I, just, I keep thinking about that every time. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's awesome. So we we finished up. We moved on from lighting. You, What's another thing you have? Yeah. So lighting, um, I think we pretty much covered most of those. Uh, the way all of the shots are constructed, they're all either tracking shots, dollying shots, uh, pans. They're all meant to look like journeys. They're all set up in such a way that we're moving through a space just like a journey. We're following the spaceship through the stars. We're following Tomas as he's walking through the um, the throne room. We're following Tommy as he's walking on a street in Canada. I think we're one following of the, someone down a hallway. Right. I think probably one of the best shots. I think that is like a it's a zoom in on Tomas when the uh, Inquisitor, right? That's yeah, him. yeah. The Inquisitor. He's they're about to like put all those people to death, and he's talking about how, you know, like the the flesh is a, is a, it's a prison and everything, and mm-hmm. it's just like really long zoom that starts kind of behind the Inquisitor, and then it keeps moving mm-hmm. forward, and then yeah. Tomas like shows up in the window, and he's his plan is to like kill the Inquisitor, uh, but I like like that is in terms of like you saying like film technique film techniques used to like tell a journey or like a story. Like that's one that's really great. It's this like really kind of long scene where it's like you're you're going through it and now you're arriving at like kind of the conclusion where it's like this is Tomas like trying to carry out like a goal that he has and when he pops up into the frame and then he, he brings the crossbow up and you think you're about to reach the conclusion of it. I think that that's you're, – you're so right. So many of these things are – these shots are so purposeful and they, they are meant to convey something because there's really not like – besides like the Inquisitor talking in the background – there's not like a ton going on here. It's just like the focus is totally like on the camera work and what is showing up in your frame. It's not necessarily the dialogue that surrounds it. It's it's all about what you're seeing. And yes, yeah, so I think you're so right. Like it's there's really great shots that just tell their own story in and of themselves. Yeah, and there's another one that's uh it's the same technique, but I don't think they're necessarily connected. But when um Tom Tommy first gets home and it's zoomed in on that painting of the the temple and right. it zooms out and it's you hear all of the the jungle noises and they slowly fade out as the color fades out and then you get uh introduced to the foyer and i i thought i just i like the it's a it's a similar technique and it's represented somewhere else as well just for the the sake of it. i don't think they're connected quite the same way sim- symbolically like some of the other ones are though it's not like a like a motif or anything, something that is like a recurring thing we're seeing. But I definitely think that it's all purposeful, and they're great shots. Yeah, yeah, and so and there's also um, when he's going up the elevator to see Izzy, you can hear the same the the spaceship bubble noises. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it's meant to be the same exact thing. Us, the spaceship hurtling up through space. It's another representation yeah, of another great. journey. Yeah. yeah, I noticed the sound. I didn't like equate it to that, but that's a good way. To, yeah, I like the way you put that. That's really cool. Yeah, so all of the camera work is just I, – I just love how all of the style um, is self-referential. Like that's that's what I think is, is, is a hallmark of a good film is when everything relates back to something very specific as a message even. It doesn't necessarily need to be, but when it does and, I, and, it, and it works, I think it's just that much better. I will because say it I will think, work. Yeah. It will work subconsciously, and then when you pay attention to consciously, it's that much more fun. Yeah. No. I, yeah. No. I really like that. I guess I want to. I can't remember if it's slow motion through this or not. And it, it was a scene that just kind of felt like not, like almost melodramatic. Like it was kind of too over the top for me. That I don't think it's probably the one thing I think doesn't super fit, maybe with the rest of the movie. It's, it's when, 
Izzy kind of collapses. She has like a does she have a stroke? What she have? seizure? A yeah. seizure. That's yeah, it. She yeah, has a seizure. Yeah. That scene to me was like that one was a little overplayed uh, because like Hugh Jackman walks away and she's still standing there and you can tell like kind of the way the music builds like something's gonna happen and I think the the rest of the movie is so much more subtle with like how it sets up its tension. And this one was, like, so obvious. So I guess in terms of, like, filmmaking and the way the scene is set up, that was maybe the one thing that I I thought was kind of out of place. I don't think – I'm not saying the scene shouldn't be in the movie. I just think it was executed in a way that maybe didn't, like, totally fit in line with the rest of the film to me. Yeah, I think maybe tonally. Well, there was one of the slow-mo scene when he's running into Izzy's room and she's dying, and there's a weird zoom. I don't like that that shot. That one feels more out of place to me than this one. Yeah. But the what she, what she does when she looks up, she sees Shababa. Which is so great because th- that totally I brought up like when uh, Tommy looks up through the, like the skylight, and it's like that same sort of like the snow melting, and it's it's Shababa again, and she does the same thing. Like that's again, it's like that's why I can't have too many knocks against this movie because everything just ties in so well together. And yeah, I totally caught that. I was like, oh, it's like the it's the same thing, and it it all like interweaves and works so well together that like I, I can't really like knock that scene too much. But mm-hmm. I just thought like maybe kind of it was a little too dramatic for the yeah. for the way the rest of kind of the film is it's so like it's so concise in how it uses its tension and drama and that one was kind of like over the top i think like yeah. too and maybe too intentional yeah exactly and it's also the that part is actually reflective of um so we talked about the the dollying all of the all of the camera movements but there's there's those and then all of the stationary camera work that they have too you have um Three real main stationary uh, camera type shots. You have a lot of close-ups. Um, you have the rooms. Um, almost all room shots are, if they're not, if the camera isn't moving in it, they're set back in a corner, almost like a security camera. Um, and I don't think I don't think that there's anything visually like n- necessary for those. I don't think they really n- mean anything. But then you have an abundance of top-down shots. And I think we've seen we see enough references of characters looking up and seeing Shababa that the top down thing is meant to be symbolic of this kind of shroud of death over all of us looking down. And when you look up and see the light as we're all moving towards it, uh, yeah, it's, it's meant to it. There's a lot of there's a lot of tie in like um, there's a top down shot of when Tomas is um, kneeling at Isabel's feet. And it's the same, and and the crest underneath their feet is the same crest underneath uh, Isabel's uh, or Izzy's bed, like when she dies. Yeah. There's a top-down shot of that as well. And Jade had mentioned like there's a top-down, there's two top-down shots that kind of like well, I mean they like start upside down and then go right side up, but it's still someone. It's the camera's placed high and looking down at your character. I think uh, also the uh, when I said they're in the OR when I complained about it not being lit correctly, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a top-down shot. Yep. It is, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Is it? It is this kind of like, because again, this I think this movie is all about like death and how we deal with it. So the idea of like almost like death being the character behind the camera that is looking at this story take place, um, and so you kind of get the that perspective without like really realizing it. Yeah, yeah, really exactly, yeah. and it's and it's it's good that you. S- I th- I think it's really poignant that you say death as a character because that's 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 the driving message. I think you know it's death is isn't uh, as much a destination, even though we're all moving towards it, as much as it is uh, an act or just something that's always happening. You know, yeah. whether or not we feel it or experience it doesn't mean that it isn't happening, and life isn't still continuing on beyond our death when i think your two characters in this movie have 
death they view death completely different and i think that's why that's why i think death is like a character in this is because the way izzy is experiencing her own mortality is totally different than the way uh tommy is experiencing mortality and i think that that's i think you you, you are right like it that is the point is is like how do we view it how do we deal with it and and your two main characters in this are viewing it completely differently all right so i think we've moved away from that uh what's another topic you have to go over calvin i mean the other thing then so we've moved away from um moving away from a lot of the camera techniques um the the symbols that are uh represented over and over um trees and rings um the light obviously we already talked about i know that i i mentioned to you earlier that i said hair is like i mean i guess it's not a symbol you said but it, it's, it's occurring very often in this and like the sound of it the feel of it i mean everything is, is yeah. very much in tied it, into it shows the story. up in like kind of that that altar it has like kind of the hair inside it yeah and then the at altar? one point it, well, so that's like, why i said like you a, said it was like, like a uh, like a stone of shabal or something like that. it has like a name it, it starts with an m I, I looked it up and then i forgot it um you know like it's like that little staff thing it has like the cross, and then inside of it, there's hair. It's not hair. That's yes. just the way the light is. Uh, you're talking about the, the the queen's crest, right? Yeah, yeah, there's hair inside it. No, it's not hair. It's just the way that that little thing is shaped. It's, I looked, It's the way the light is. I looked up, and it said it's hair in it, and then it said at one point, because at one point it changes, and it's sort of like this sort of amber-looking thing, and I looked up that th- that's bread inside it, and they're supposed to mean different things. Man, are we talking about the same? I feel we, like yeah, we're talking about this. this. There's a stone at the center of the uh, those crests. One I of just them never. Is hair. I've never seen anything inside. Man, if there's something finally for me to discover. Yeah, no, there's. Jane's right because I made a note of it too. Like yeah. you know when it's like the movie first starts and Hugh Jackman he like kneels down he like smells like the ring. Yeah. And he's looking up at like this sort of like it starts with an M. I. It's sort of, it's I don't know what it's called, but it's like. I mean, a, are you talking about a mandala? Because that's the only M that I can really think of. No, it's that, it's like that golden thing, and it has hair inside it. It absolutely has hair inside it, and then it has something different inside it, and then it has hair inside it again. I didn't know <sighs> what that was supposed to mean. I was hoping you'd explain it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I that's, might be that's, coming up short yeah, here because so I'm not. No, no, that's good because again, like you said, you've watched this movie a bunch of times, and you can discover something new about it. So that's cool. We can move on from that because I, yeah, I didn't well, get I that know, either. Well, so. I Yeah, I, I'd actually I needed I wanted to talk about that one because it's it's representative. The outline shape of it is Shababa and the tree. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I get that. That makes sense. So that's that's important. The reason I say it is the tree and Shababa is because when Tomas finally uh, gets to the tree of life, um, it's uh, lit. It's the tree is backlit just and it's shaped like Shababa, like the like the nebula. So that's that's why I say the, those are um, recurring and the same. And same thing with the like the tumor growth patterns. Those are the same. Um, and they're just neat. I did not know that, so I did definitely did not know the tumor parts. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, when they're metastasizing on the screen. Yeah, it does. It, it, it mirrors that. That's pretty cool. Which I guess would make sense because Shabab was supposed to be like this kind of your your end, your death, or whatever, and the tumor is clearly what is killing his wife, and so it makes sense that it would like mirror that same look. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that. But it's interesting that it also mirrors the the tree of life because that's where you get your whole full circle, everything. So I guess one thing I don't get so. Tom, the astronaut, is going to Shapalba because he thinks it's going to bring her back to life. Yep. So, but isn't Shapalba supposed to be like kind of like the underworld, like death? Yes. So, why would that even be a thing that he thought would work? I'm trying to remember. 
I think because again, I like that line where he says like he's like you'll blossom and I'll live, and so like obviously some part of this is in his mind somehow it it ends up with them being together forever or something. I guess I didn't understand why he thought that because they kind of play on the fact that Shababa is like death. Yeah, I can't really remember. I I can't remember if the movie says it or if it's just implied as a symbol or because then it's a plot hole and I think it's fine as a plot hole. It's not it's not very satisfying. Yeah, and and maybe I need to do more research on Shababa itself. Like maybe it's not death, maybe it's more of like a this kind of like recursive thing where it's like you have to experience death and then you come back or maybe it's supposed to be like kind of a not necessarily like the underworld like Hades or anything like that, but it's supposed to be like a uh an end and then a, a beginning again. Yeah, yeah, they did. They mentioned like it's the underworld or whatever in the in the movie, but they don't say it, it's not like an, an ominous thing or anything like that. I I can't remember exactly in detail what it is, but it doesn't seem like it's a bad thing. It's a good thing that like, that's where you're supposed to go. Also, that word is spelled with an X. What yeah. the fuck is going on with that? Like, the yeah, <laughs> I it's annoying that the subtitles do it with an SH, but it, yeah, it's an X. Yeah, when it popped up when, when I when I searched it, I was like, what? Why do you spell uh, that way? Because <laughs> it's uh, cuatro is um. The old Mayan language. I think that's how you pronounce. I think that's. that's I trust the you. I'm you and you, you tend to know more about language than any of us, so I, I trust you. <laughs> those, but yeah, the the X uh, X's start a lot of. It's it's translation wars. is place of fright. Oh, interesting. So that's why that's why I kind of didn't really get. I think in the context of the story, I guess you can have Shababa be whatever you want it to be, but I guess yeah. like in the literal like the the myth itself i i wondered why they used shibaba as kind of a way of life for her at the end yeah i guess i i see what you're saying that like that there's no reason that he would be going there in the first place because it's not explained it's just kind of assumed that he's figured out a way i mean the, the other thing too is the tree is alive so maybe what he was doing was he was taking like her corporeal body to shibaba to regain her soul yeah, I don't know. That's that's. I would say that's probably the 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 the, the best the best interpretation you're gonna get at least right now. Right. Yeah. No. I clearly I, I, that, yeah. I clearly I've missed everything in no, this dude, film. I, I don't know what the fuck I I'm talking about. I threw you a curveball, man. I, <laughs> I don't know about the Queen's Crest things being in there. Like, I just I feel like a, an absolute fool now. No, dude, you're doing great. <laughs> um, but no, I just thought that that was like kind of a. I I wouldn't call it a plot hole because you could just explain it away in the context of the story. Like, you could just say that Hugh Jackman's character somehow knew like that was. And maybe it's not even that he knew. Maybe it's just that it was so important to Izzy that he was going to carry out this journey regardless. Mm. And maybe there wasn't really a – maybe he didn't know. Maybe he just had so much conviction, which his character is full of. All three of them are just have so much conviction that he was just going to carry this out no matter what. And it didn't really matter if there was, like, a rational or, like, a explained reason for it. So, uh, you know, it, it could just be something that I just was confused by. And – it doesn't really change the story at all, like no, it doesn't. to be honest. So it's it's yeah. Like it's I not said, like it's not like a plot hole that yeah. like it's a nitpick. It it's not like a, yeah. It just was like I was like I was just wondering. I was like, did I miss something where they said that it would bring her back to life, or is he just doing it kind of out of like a a sense of duty to like his wife who was like researching and fascinated with like Mayan culture, and so he he like carried this out kind of for her anyways. Mm. Which I think is is good either way. Um, I'm pretty sure. So she's talking about uh, someone that she met doing research, and she says, "My father is not dead the because guide. they planted a seed." It was seed. one of the guides. Yeah, 
and he's not dead because he planted the seed and he used the trees, he used the grass, he used the air and all this stuff. And, and I then think, like the bird eats like the fruit of his tree yeah, exactly, and now he's yeah. flying with the birds. Like so that's such a great maybe like, he, I love like, that story. So Hugh Jackman maybe took the tree by itself to harness just that light power or something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, yeah. yeah. That's and it's, it's okay. Yeah. I I mean it never like it never stuck out to me when I was watching the movie, that's for sure. I was way more interested in like other things that were going on. Oh yeah, to be yeah. clear, it didn't take me out of the movie at all. Yeah. I was just like I was like, "Wait, why are they Okay. Yeah. It was yeah. fine. Yep. Cuz um, it's never explained and it's not necessary because you're so you're so engrossed by the aesthetics of those scenes and then engrossed in the narrative plot lines of the other ones. This there's not really like it's more of like a mental landscape. Um Anyways, which is why, like, what you were saying, like, it's, like, his spiritual self. Um, and, and I think, like, that Tom, the astronaut, is so kind of, like, his kind of storyline is so ambiguous just in general. Because it's also so reflected, like, it also, it, it blurs the lines between the, um, at least the present. You know, Izzy shows up, um, but she's like a ghost. Yeah. And I think I think my favorite is... My favorite scene, like we were talking about, the one where he's like, "Leave me, leave me alone." It's this, it's this divine irony of we're living in the present, we're going to the future, but we're haunted by the past all at the same time. And it's like, how do we make decisions at all when we have all of this, all of the weight of the universe and the weight of um our our individual lives is so strong? How do we even deal with the weight of the universe? Yeah. Yeah, so I yeah, that's that's it's a little a little issue I had, but but it yeah, like you said, it has nothing to do with the narrative. It doesn't change anything about this movie for me. Yeah. Um, what else you got? And then rings. Right. Okay. Yeah, because he keeps losing. Well, he loses his ring. Yeah, his we- uh, Tom Tom Tommy loses his wedding ring. Yeah, and that's I think I mentioned earlier. Like uh, Izzy makes a joke like, oh, like yeah, is she a redhead? <laughs> she makes like an infidelity joke, which I think is. Again, I just really love that scene. Um, and then he keeps noticing it's gone, I think, in, like, really important times. So, like, he's doing this research, and he's in his uh, – Tommy's in his office, and they're kind of – it seems like they're sort of closing in on a cure, but, like, it's not quite – because, like, the, it doesn't change this, the tumor size. It just kind of is, like, this kind of rejuvenates life or whatever. Yeah, there's no change in the, in the tumor, but all of uh, – I mean, I'm assuming that they're talking about – the neural activity, yeah, um, and telomeres being regrown, like and so cut he's in his head that's completely gone too, right? Yeah, so he's like he realizes his ring is off, like at that point. So that's a, that's another like I think pivotal point in the in like his development as a character. It's like he is so close to like this this cure, and he's so close to achieving his goal, doesn't quite get there, and then there's the realization again that like his ring is gone, and he like tosses all like the papers off his desk, and he gets hits really the upset. lamp, yeah, and hits a lamp. Um, so I think that. Kind of the reference to the ring always comes up in like these really important moments and like these tragic moments, like in terms of his character. So it's like, yeah, so he realized he he isn't gonna, this isn't a cure yet. He's not quite there, and so that's tragic for him. And then after Izzy actually dies, is when he his ring is off again, and that's when he starts like kind of tattooing himself with the pen and ink that he got from Izzy as a gift. Um, and I think like the whole ring, kind of that tattoo, like that aesthetic continues as he keeps tattooing himself. Which is cool because it's the same pen. Like, future Tom is using the same pen that Tommy got as a gift from Izzy. To finish her story. Yeah. And so it's like, I think the, the rings on his arm are clearly, like, a continuation of the, the ring tattoo that he gave himself. And he just continued to do that. It's like, it always seems to me like it's like a some kind of important moment moment in his life is when this realization of the ring is gone. 
And so it's like maybe over all these eons that he's been traveling to Shababa, he's remembering other moments because he keeps like eating the tree to kind of, I think, remember these things. That's like Mm. how I took it. I thought it was to elongate his life. Yes. Oh, okay. That's a a, – oh, okay. I didn't think about that at all. Yeah. I always thought of it as like maybe he's trying to relive these memories. And so So, maybe every time he does it, that's when he gives himself another tattoo because he experienced something again. I didn't – And so he he tattoos himself the first time at this tragic moment, and every time he relives this tragic moment by going back in time to remember it, he tattoos himself again. Like that's what I took from that. Mm -hmm. So like the only reason why I think the the tree – like I didn't – I didn't necessarily. I just thought it was weird that he was eating it before, but when you said uh, when you run you of the line, he says you will blossom and I will live. I think that he's surviving. He's living, I think eons or you know a very very long time in this bubble by consuming the tree and using her life force because the tree, I'd imagine, has the same properties as the tree they found in the middle of the of the. Of the yeah, I'm pretty sure. There's, there's, a, there's a picture keeping, of it. Yeah. There's a picture of yeah. it when they go and get the sample. Yeah, and he's he's consuming it to keep his life going, and like I don't like. The rings around his arm, I I assume it simulate it simulates time, just like rings in a tree, like that's what I thought it was like. So he has his first ring, that was kind of his first life that he lived, and then he's like lived other lifetimes. I thought was the other rings. Oh, okay, I like that. It. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're I think you're both right. It is both a continuation of the ring on his finger, and a visual um, connection to rings on a tree that he is um, both connected to Izzy in the past. And this tree here, like physically having tree rings, I never life by it. That makes total sense that it would be the same because uh, I knew it was the same tree. Like, yeah. I, I mean, why would they have brought up that first tree in the first place if it wasn't the same one? Yeah. But it never occurred to me that it was like a way to sustain himself. So I think it's a different uh, tree. I think it's the seed that was planted on her grave that became that tree, and that seed became fuck, that's that so seed good. came <laughs> from the first tree, and he planted that. That's why the tree is Izzy. I actually didn't. I didn't catch that at all in that scene because i was yeah. kind of confused by that yeah i was like okay i guess that's, this is that's probably the weakest part of the whole film is how the last five minutes wrap up but i guess just the way the the way they cut from him eating the bark off the tree and then it always is then uh continues into a him being tommy after that and so that's why i thought the tree was like his means of time travel i guess yeah, and I wouldn't even. That's the thing is, I don't even really think this is a time travel movie. I think it's like a. No, he's just he's just that. having memories. I think I I don't know if I read a synopsis or I heard that this is it's him traveling back now because I don't even think it's that. I think it's like reliving memories. Yeah, it just says three. I, I think the synopsis usually just says three timelines or three time periods. Um, Maybe yeah. that's why I equate it to like time travel. Yeah, because that's but, normally. Yeah. But that's a really get. good idea that that the tree is to sustain him and keep him alive during this rather than what I thought where it's like a means to like relive these memories. Cause that, that makes way more sense. I actually like yeah. that a lot. And it also goes back to the story where Izzy is talking about her guide and the, her, his dad being buried. Oh, the tree. Yeah. He's being planning yeah. and she, and he grows into the branches and into the seeds. And that's yeah. why the hair on her neck stands up the same way that the hair on the tree does. When yeah. It's meant to be a visual yeah. representation that these things are the same. That's why they're actually, there's one, there's one scene where he's actually running his hand down the bark. It's and, gross by the way. Yeah. Well, and then it cuts <laughs> right to her body as he's yeah. rubbing his hand. Yeah. I, her. I actually, I was proud of myself. I caught that like right away. Cause I think a lot of people be like weird, hairy tree. That's, I, that's I, like, the, I was like weird space hair, hairy space tree. Yeah. Like, I, was, I caught that right away. I was like, uh, cause I even thought to myself, I was like, that's like what someone looks like when like the hair stands up on the back of their neck yeah. or something like mm-hmm. that. And then there's literally a scene later where I, I don't know if I'm using match on action. I'm right? pretty sure I made yep. like, but it's, yeah. it's the hair on the tree stands up and then it cuts to the hair on like 
the back of Izzy's neck standing yep. up when uh, Tommy's like saying the same stuff to her. He's like, I, I love you. Like, I'll keep you alive. Like, and it's the same thing he's been saying to the tree the whole time. I was actually really proud that I was like, that's that's hair on someone's body standing yeah. up. Not it's the tree. Yeah, it's hairy to represent that, but it's not like a gross hairy tree. It's it's <laughs> meant to represent like being close to someone. And that like, means that he yeah. was eat, basically eating her flesh too, which I also found unpleasing. It is. Yeah, that's un- yeah. that's an interesting take too. Well, that's yep. that's why I like the because I that I think that also plays into why I think he's selfish. It's like he's. Now that you've said that, you think it's like he's consuming her to stay alive, but to save her, I think is the end goal. And but it goes, it, it and like it goes back to the beginning where he charges as a con- conquistador and says, "By her grace, we will live forever," or with her, through her, yeah. whatever he says, "We will live forever." And that's why it's interesting. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, but we actually we were talking about rings, and remember, there's more rings. To talk about. <laughs> yeah, I just, we just this movie's hard to not take off onto. There's so many different dynamics yeah. and, and trains of thought that this yeah. can go into in every single scene. And it's tough, about. too, because everything just ties in so well together, so yep. it's easy to get off track. I so think what we've other... done a fantastic yeah. way, uh, <laughs> job of staying on track so far. What I other mean, what other rings do you have? So the, I know there's the one that Isabel gives him. Yep, the past. And that's yeah. and I think I think the rings are they're extensions of that same drive. They're, they're, they're literal representations of, of his goal, of his journey. And so when he drinks the sap, finally, which was uh, apparently um, – like it was just icing. It was like massage. It like, looked like something else. And it was gross. I was like, oh, I don't love this. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, this I tree was, just came. Just I, thought now. It, I, thought, <laughs> I, I kept thinking like, oh, they, the seed of life. They just, <laughs> yeah, that's probably. That's oh probably Carl. Sim- it's probably I, I think Carl Jung that, yeah. is calling me right now. Yeah, dude, you're so right. I I thought it just looked like white. The tree paint. is a dick. <laughs> just looked like white paint to me. And I was like, yeah. this is not aesthetically pleasing. I, I didn't like love that part of it yeah, but yeah. why don't they just make it sad i think colored? it was supposed <laughs> to be uncomfortable yeah. i think yeah. the whole the whole scene was but uh he he uh drinks the sap and then he's about to put on the ring because he finished his journey and yeah he could live he eternally thinks, but he Isabel. drops it because yeah. that wasn't the point yeah he missed he missed the point and dies and is resurrected then as plant life yeah so i want to just quickly so a bit of the sap drops on the ground and a plant sprouts out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not a scientist, but I'm just saying like just deductive reasoning. Why would you then consume it and it not assume life. that you're also going to become a plant after that? <laughs> like, I think I think it's interesting to think that like okay, well if it falls on plant life, other plant it it will. Uh, I he tests it on himself first because he's going to die. I guess he way. does put it yeah, on his wound yeah. and he puts it on a wound and it and it bubbles up and it and it and it goes. But isn't, away? That, yeah. isn't that the first flower to pop out is from his wound? No, the first no. one is on the ground. No, no. After he's like consumed yes. it. Yeah, yeah. First, it's the first thing that touches him, and then and then his whole body. Blooms. I'm just saying. So yeah. then that like proves my point that whatever this touches flowers sprout out of. Yeah, but that's not what he thought. Like, first, he did. He did yeah. scientific tests on himself. Like he was yeah. gonna die either way. I'm so. just saying. It's. I thought it was. Like I said, I'm I'm not a smart man, but I just saw this do something. I'm not gonna then continue to test on myself. And again, that has nothing to do with the narrative. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't change the story at all. But when I was watching, I was like, why would you then drink it? Because you just, the only kind of experience you have with this substance is that it makes flowers sprout. Wouldn't you be worried about flowers sprouting out of you? And I was thinking that to myself as the scene was going on. And then the flower starts sprouting out of him. I was like, that's exactly what I was afraid of. <laughs> I was like, my, my, my suspicions were immediately confirmed in the scene. <laughs> so I, I want to talk more about that later when we like get our kind of our closing um our our theories on the movie because i i think i have a really cool idea on what the whole like him becoming flowers and stuff means mm, okay. but uh but i did think that that just from a 
a purely like analytical perspective, I was like, why would you do that? <laughs> in, in like an empirical, like if you're just a scientist, not even a scientist, just deductive reasoning, why would you ever do that? <laughs> yeah, basic common sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other one, the last one I have is it's it's a it's it's a very fairly Aronofsky thing. He uses he heavily relies on biblical symbols and like when we were in school, um, you know, it was a joke like because. Because the wrestler is about martyrdom um, as well, and then you also have the fountain. Um, I do want to watch the wrestler because I, I feel like when it really first came good. out, when it first came out, I was like, I don't want to watch a movie about a wrestler. Yeah. But now that I'm older and wiser, and I know who Darren Aronofsky is, I was like, okay, this movie is clearly not like about a wrestler. Like, so I do want to check that one out. Yeah, and so then Noah came out, and one of my classmates really, like, oh yeah, he just went full Bible, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then Mother came out and like, okay, we just, just well now I guess we're just gonna deconstruct all of the, yeah. the biblical myths as well, like. So. Um, I'd like to do a review of that at some point, just because I, like I said, I don't like it, but I think it's like worth talking about because it's just like it's so on the nose with all of its biblical references that I think it's interesting enough to talk about, which yeah. I think is kind of the point of what we're doing this podcast for is kind of have interesting conversations about film but while i don't like it i think it's definitely something to talk about that movie is something yeah exactly so and, and um and then here you've got um obviously um we'll find the the tree of life i'll you will be uh adam and i will be your eve um very obvious clear and then you have um the mayan chief with the flaming sword, just like the angel guarding the. I love that because uh, what is it? I wrote it down. It's a passage from Genesis, uh, chapter three, verse twenty-four. It's like the uh, therefore the Lord God banished Adam and Eve, and He guards like the tree of life with a, a flaming sword, and it's so clearly redepicted in the flaming sword that like the Mayan chief has. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. But then like, that's, not, the that's not that's like, not that's not like beating me over the head symbolism. The same way his other movies have been. This is like it, it was cool mm -hmm. enough that like if you paid attention and read that passage at the beginning, then you can like uh, realize that it's kind of reoccurring again. Yep. Uh, and then, that wasn't like over you know overdone. I don't think. Yeah. And then same thing with him getting stabbed in the side. Jesus is typically depicted as being stabbed in the left side with a spear to confirm yeah. that he's dead. Because what is it? It's supposed to be like uh, he flows like water and blood or something. Isn't that how it is? Yeah, I think so. Because if it's not just water, because if, if it the if vinegar water yeah. that they they give him the drink before, then it would, then he would still be alive. But if it's blood and water, then he's yeah. dead. Because, uh, yeah, I know it's symbolized yeah, in like paintings and stuff. Is like it's silver and red flowing out of his wound because it's supposed to symbolize like the water and blood. That's why I bring it up. But huh, yeah, I've so never I, seen that before. Um, but yeah. So and then which which is a universalism with the idea of first father. Here you have the idea of martyrdom, giving up one's one's own life for another, um, being reflected, actually, yeah, in uh, him trying to cover up that wound with the uh, with the tree sap, and then ultimately dying. But is it really dying? Like it's just dying in a human sense, and that's, that's what the... why I have an interesting theory on that. So okay, yeah. I love that. Okay, um, and that's you know that's that's all I got. You so know, do we, we want to? I know we were only two hours in, but <laughs> yeah, we're we're pretty close. To that uh, you had a good question. I think you t you told me earlier. Give me something to chew on. Yeah, and I want to know what which what you think uh, timeline, objects, characters. What's representational and what's real? Yeah, so I want to I want to say like I, I think Jade and I have been saying that. So I think 
I to me the only thing that's real is Tommy is when he's the the present tense is the only real one. The reason I think that is because I think that the the book that Izzy's been working on I think is the story of the Conquistador, which I think is just this like like I said a, an extreme version of Tommy's character represented in a, a different timeline is all. I I don't think it's I don't think all that stuff is literally happening. Um. And I think that Tom, the astronaut, is a representation of kind of like this sort of spiritual journey that Tommy's been going on because that, that character is still, to me, driven the same way Tommy is. It's still, he's he's clinging to this tree. His plan is to revive the tree. He's, uh, his end goal is to bring Izzy back to life, I guess, but in his own context, which mirrors what the Conquistador is doing and it mirrors what Tommy's doing. So I think the only... To me, the only real one, because again, because I, I think just conceptually for this film, it doesn't make sense. Like, why would he have a bubble spaceship? It, it doesn't explain any of that. So that's why I view it as more of like a spiritual thing, spiritual thing that isn't actually taking place. Like, literally, it's a... Uh, and I also think that the Conquistor is the book. So I think Tommy's the only real one. So, um, I, so initially starting this conversation, I had no idea what the future self or spiritual self or whatever it's, whatever it was or... It was part of a book or his real life. And the more we've talked about this, the more I've come to the conclusion, like, either it's all the book or none of it is. And that's because it's all connected. Like, he, when he's in, when he's in the bubble with the tree, like, he's seeing his past self. But then also at the end of it, he comes back and he's like, first father, I didn't realize it was you. And he's sitting there meditating or whatever. And he, like, it's showing, depicting that as Tomas. And then, and then the guy lets him through into the, into the fountain of youth or whatever it is. Uh, the tree of life and uh and so i think either either uh izzy wrote the book and she included real factors of her real life because uh spiritual or future tom uh is is often remembering and like and having experiences with tommy with tommy's life along with tomas's so i don't think it can all be, i don't think it can all be separate i think it has to be connected all in some kind of way yeah and that that's a good point it's like it's it's so hard to kind of decipher what's that's such a deep question because it's like I don't really know what's real and what's not because the stories are all so connected. So how can one be real and one not be? Yeah. And I think maybe the other reason I think that Tom is is kind of a kind of a spiritual version of Tom, uh, Tommy is because he keeps remembering Tommy's life. So it's like, so I know they're the same person, but maybe it's like it's to me it's like maybe a, a cognitive representation of like memory or. Uh, spiritual self like recognizing the life he had i think that's maybe why i came to that yeah. conclusion but i think Jaden's right it's, it's hard to it's hard to say one's real and the others aren't when like, the only they're reason, all so connected the only reason why i think that it's like because of the scene where he comes back and he replaces like the image of tom replaces tomas when, yeah, when the mayan priest you kind of poked holes in like my own theory of it yeah. because like now that happened i'm like okay well like now i don't know anymore yeah. that's why it's it's so that's hard why I'm, I'm confused like i think it's either all like it's uh there's there's reincarnation basis here or uh, or it's all part of the story. So, I think I think those are all valid representations. But it's not the <laughs> yeah, one you're going to tell us we're wrong. It's not. It's not the one that I've consistently come <laughs> come to. I think that um, the past is is definitely the book. It's always the book. There are places where uh, the past is happening, and then we get a jump cut right to uh, Tommy waking up with the book in his lap. Yeah. Um, I think that's I'm glad Jane and I. We both agree that it's the book is the conquistador because 
I mean, like I said, I'm not the smartest guy, but I always am proud of myself when I can figure out what's going on in movies. And so I was nervous that you were going to be like, no, it's all real, man. You guys really <laughs> missed the beat on this one. So I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that general consensus is it's the book because that's absolutely what I thought. Yeah. And then so I then the reason why I don't think that um, uh, it's it's all the book is I think that he, the reason uh, the chieftain sees, oh, first father, I didn't realize is because that's how. Tommy has decided to finish writing the book is yeah exactly oh, so so, so Tommy okay, I like that a lot <laughs> Tommy and Tom are the same person Tommy sees the future of like this is what needs to happen so he writes first father as a, a depiction of of himself because that's what Tomas is, is and that a makes so much more himself. sense because Izzy tells him she's like to finish the book he's like I don't know how she's like y you what does he, I don't know if she says you, you don't will. know now. She you says will. you will. Like, so he, cause he doesn't know currently how to finish it, but she's like, you will. And that makes so much more fen more sense that like his future version would like, that's the will part. Like he will learn how to do it. And yep. so that's him figuring out how to finish the book. Oh my God. I like so, that so like, much. I agree with you. But like, it's like, I think it's like part of it's the end of the book or it's like, or I said, it's not like it's either one of the two, but like if it's the end of the book, I still don't. The problem with that is like there's still parts of Tom that goes back to being Tommy, and he remembers Izzy's character in there. It's there, yeah. knowing him. That's why I think. No, that that's also what I mean. That, that current Tommy is part of the book as well. I don't think the current Tommy. Not is that a... so like so current Tommy is real, but he's also in the book. It's like my it's my consensus. I don't I don't think current Tommy is is in the book because he's represented as Tomas, so. Those those are one and the same. Like they don't they don't exist separately. So so Tomas is everything in the book. Um, first father then is his his future vision of himself, and then Tom in the future is Tommy in the past because because of the ring that he tattoos on himself. Okay. In yeah. in the bed, and then we know that he's been working on a tree that um, a, a compound that gives that. Uh, increases uh or at least re um uh reduces aging or um turns aging back yeah so i don't know that it said it like it seemed like it was supposed to be like essentially this is everlasting life because i think that's like a big theme in the movie yeah, as so, long as you're yeah. eating it and that's yeah. the point so so it's it's that he's working on that and it's also izzy at the same time because so the last five minutes are really really convoluted but what happens is he uh, he approaches Shababa. He so he meditates on his way outside of the bubble, and then Shababa explodes, and you can literally see like the strands uh, of the light um, shooting through his body and hitting the tree. So Which his is great, death cause, cause is then her life. Doesn't Izzy describe it as it's a it's a nebula surrounding a star that's gonna die? Yeah, around a dying star. And, they, and she's like, that's so like. What what are the odds that the the Mayans found like a star that is is literally dying to like represent death to them? So I, I yeah so like the fact that it it, it goes supernova at the end, is like yeah it's so it's so well done. It's just yeah it it's it, it sim it's symbolized well throughout the movie and then like the execution at the end. I was like oh this is so so purposeful and yeah. it, it works so well. Yeah and so so he literally gives his life. This is again why I don't really buy into anything that he's ever done is is selfish. Is because now he dies, gives his life for the tree to bloom. The tree blooms, and there's a seed, and it's Izzy. Izzy takes it, um, 
and then puts it in Tommy's hand and yeah. then he plants it on her grave. And so literally that's that's the film saying that past and present are not contingent. They're one on each other. They're right. one line. It's a big Mobius strip, dude. Yep, exactly. Yeah. It's all the so, same. So like I said, when we first started and we first started talking about Tommy's character, and I said I think he's selfish, and I still stand by that. I think everything he does is, is he's keeping her alive for himself because he doesn't know how to live without her. And that is all paid off at the end. That's why I didn't like say that when we were first getting into it because I think it's paid off because now you have future Tommy who's like he's now accepting death and then that like it, it drives the whole ending of the movie. So uh, yeah, I, I still stand by it. I think he's selfish. But the thing is like he's also not one character. He's three different characters in this movie and they all come to this they all combine to come to this conclusion at the end where it kind of like it's his acceptance of this death and and now he's moved past it. So I think he's selfish, yeah, but I also think it's he he moves past it and it's paid off at the end. Yeah. So yeah, that's the that's the what I've always come to is that um uh present and future are the same person. They are they are real and then the past is the book. Okay, so can I get my theory on on the what I think the ending is kind of about. So it it splits between the conquistador and uh you got future Tom and then you have like Tommy planting the seed and everything. So I think that the Tomas gets stabbed and then he drinks from the tree and then he turns into plants. And so when Izzy is telling that story about the 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 first father about how his body became the roots and then I I can't remember if it's his head or something something became the spirit that became the sky. His yeah. spirit became the sky. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And then I think they the, the minds like kept the head or something. No, the head became Shibaba. That's it. That's it. Um, so I think that Tomas dying and becoming flowers is the first father becoming the roots that become the earth. And I think that the spirit, because that's why that's why I view future Tom as like a spirit because so he kind of gets blown up in the sky and he becomes the sky. Like that's his spirit becoming the sky. Um, my only issue is I don't know how Tom Tommy fits into it. But I mm-hmm. think that that, I think I like the ending because I thought it symbolized kind of also that story of the first father about the different parts of him becoming different things. And so I have a working theory. That's my working theory is that the Tom becomes the sky. Cause that's like kind of the spirit to me of the character. And then, uh, yeah. When, when literally Tomas becomes flowers, like those are rooting plants. Like, so that to me became the roots. Uh, yeah, I just need to figure out how Tommy works into it and then it'll be a complete theory. <laughs> but I, but I still, I was watching, I was like, Oh, I, I like, I think it's neat. I think it's, maybe I just didn't catch all of it and maybe there's more to it. But I, I, I was watching. I was like, oh, it's like kind of it, it, it kind of seemed to parallel some of that myth that came in. I don't. What do you guys think of that? Do you think it's stupid? Do you think I'm way off? Or no, do you think I think it's okay? I think this is totally it's up to interpretation. And, right. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's meant to be. Like he's meant to be first father. It's meant yeah. to. It's meant to symbolize that because that's yeah. literally what happened. Like obviously he's not the real first father. He's an incarnation of right. first father. And because these myths are universal. They're stories that we tell each other because they're they're representative of universal truths that transcend human understanding is why it works. Yeah. No, I think it's well, it works that way. I just thought the parallels like lined up enough that I was like, that's a neat thing. And and I think Jane's right. I it's, love it though. Yeah, I, I think love we're all up to interpretation and, and that's like what I took from the ending. I was like I was like, Oh, they're they're kinda trying to retell kind of that story and do any of you guys have like any like closing what what are your yeah. theories on it? So uh I think the whole point of the movie is just so the acceptance of death is what makes life worth living, I think is the point of the movie. Mm. So the fact that the first father sacrificed himself 
and that created more life because he was by himself and that life wasn't worth living. So he sacrificed himself to create more life. And so I think that that's the general consensus of this book. I mean, of the of the movie, um, which I think, I think maybe it's all the book because I think that maybe that's the point of the book too is to accept death, so you can like, so you can have a life worth living, and uh, and that's what like Tommy ends up. Ex- I think at the end he does end up accepting death and moving on, and uh, I think that he finishes the book with that like with the idealistic, and that's why he is the first father. Because he finally accepts death, death, and that creates the life. Yeah, I think I think one of my um, one of my favorite thought experiments about all of this is because his name is uh, you know Doctor Crayle. I like to think of it as like an alien uh, culture's uh, creation myth, and these are they've got their Jesus, they've got their um, their uh, Emir, um, and they've got their uh, underworld all represented uh, re- represented in the fountain this book about you know what what it mean what life really means yeah no, i like that i like that idea a lot yeah I, I keep saying that i like every idea we've had oh yeah <laughs> the um, only thing i will say is and i the last time before before i watched uh when i watched this a, a few months ago again it really struck me how much how constricted and confined this film is it needs room to breathe to make everything work together symbolically um, its attachments to other uh, visuals, to the other symbols. Um, I think that speaks to what Jane was saying about the runtime. Like yeah. this movie just needed a bit more time. Yeah. When I when I threw it on, because I I you know I would pause it to take notes. The first time I paused it, it was like an hour and a half. I was like, Are you kidding me? Like, mm-hmm. Calvin's favorite movie is only an hour and a half long. Yeah. And especially... <laughs> I was expecting like a very grandiose long like runtime, and I was yeah. actually sincerely surprised by the runtime on this. I think you're right. This movie needs a lot more time to. Have it scenes and then have some time to breathe and uh, really recognize what you're watching. Yeah, because like I, think yeah. of Midsummer. Like there's a lot less happening in Midsummer, but it's two hours and fifteen minutes. Which we are gonna do a review on that. We all watched that together uh, not too long ago, ah. and that movie is that movie is something. But yeah. that's a that's it an example. Me out. <laughs> that's oh, an yeah. example of a movie that like it has a scene that is very uh, explosive. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean. Not literally, but in terms of like, uh, how do you digest this scene so, that just happened? And then a lot it gives of you, like that. but then it gives you a long time to digest them because it's not, it's definitely not a slow moving film, but it is a, the cadence of that movie gives you time to like, see what you saw, recognize it, digest it. And then now you're going to get a new thing to kind of move on to. And that's, I think a detriment to this movie is it, it has these like very powerful scenes and I don't think you get the time to kind contextualize of, uh, everything. Yeah, You don't get any time to like chew on them figure out what's going on, which again is why like I, I was excited for kind of you to have the questions and run this episode because cause you've seen this and it's your favorite. I also, this is my first time going through it, and like I said, there's a lot to digest in this. And so I needed someone else to kind of help me through it because uh, I, I, there's certainly stuff I'm going to miss in it. So I, I think it's it's been great to have you as our guide through this one. Because <laughs> there's so much, like I said, everything about this since we – we started this almost two hours ago. Everything about it, I, I would have given you a completely different rating of this movie at the very beginning than I would have. What at, would you at the have given now. then? At the beginning, I mean, this is very. I think because it's so much is going on, and I didn't have the time to take it all in. I think that was my problem with it. I was like, I know I'm supposed to keep up with this, and I know I'm supposed to feel stuff here. I was like, I'm not. I'm just not tracking because there's just not enough time in this movie, and it's it's 
I don't want to say fast paced, but it's just like it's it's definitely like it's definitely moving the narrative along quickly. And so that was my issue with it. And so, I mean, this would have been kind of like a middle of the road movie to me because I just wasn't catching everything that was happening. And I know that if I had watched it a couple times, I my opinion would have changed. But this conversation is essentially me watching it a couple times now because I'm catching up on all the stuff I didn't realize. So yeah, first time, middle of the road. Now, I mean, I'm so excited to watch this movie again. I mean, this is like eight or nine. Like, I am excited to watch it again. Yeah. Well, what I- And what is the rating scale then? Yeah, we got to figure something out there. I mean, heavy space trees. I don't know, man. Oh, sp- that's wonderful. How many Shabalbas is this? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Shabalbas. Shabalba? Yeah. yeah, this is an eight or nine Shabalbas for me. Like, I, I, like, I'm being so genuine when I tell you, like, I was kind of, I'm not going to say not interested in talking about this movie, but I just realized that there was so much stuff I wasn't, like, tracking or, or I knew I was missing out on. Mm-hmm. And, like, all your guys' opinions have, like, just really raised this movie up for me. Like, like I said, I'm so stoked to watch it again. Like, this is... Yeah. It, it's easily ticked up a couple points for me. Like I, I, yeah, this is this is actually like a genuinely good movie that I I just feel like I I didn't capture all of it the first time, and so now I'm kind of capturing it now, and so it's become much better just through this conversation for sure. So, uh, and I think that speaks to the point of it's not breathing enough. Right. I think that's this this conversation right here is like what let it breathe and like I liked the movie a lot before this conversation. Uh, I would give it like a seven or an eight. I'm, I'm saying this like a nine point four out of 10 Chivalas. Like, this yeah. is, this is like, this is the highest rated movie I've done. Like, this is my highest rating I've given. So, this is, I, I very much enjoyed this experience. This is, this has been great. Like, I, I love this movie. Yeah, a great pick, Calvin. Yeah, this I, was a great I, pick. I'm so glad that you all think that. Yeah, and I would, I think from, um, a filmmaker's perspective, I would probably give this like like six or seven shibabas because there's a lot. There's so much that works so well, and there's just there's just it doesn't work well enough because of the runtime. But like as a personal preference, it's it's a perfect film. Right. Um. It's 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 um. Uh. Uh. My worldview. It's my. It, it's this deep emotional thing. It's all of these great performances. All of this this biblical um symbol like like. I love watching Aronofsky's films because they um, remind me of like how uh, I constructed my, my worldview and now where I see it. Right. And, um, and then all of the, the, cu- the, the music and the, uh, which we didn't even talk about there. I mean, we talked a bit about the score. It's well, I thought was going to talk about like, it's, it's done by the Kronos quartet. Like all of the uh, music is by the, the string uh, group uh, Kronos quartet and they're, they're in, they've done a lot of film scoring, and I have a a few. Um, they, they have, they've done like a, a a folk album, where they got a lot of uh, major uh, folk artists, and then collaborated with them. Right, and they're the music, and they're the vocals. It's it's wonderful. The and viewers don't know this, but so we try to pick kind of opening music that maybe kind of fits the tone of what we're going to talk about. We went through so much music to try and figure out like how to start this and Kelvin's like nope wrong 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 <laughs> I think it's because he's so in love with this score and like how this the tone of this movie and so we had to pick a opening music to that fit it and, yeah, and luckily we landed on the right one but we played so much stuff to just even figure out how to start it yeah. that's how much Calvin loves this movie and I, I think wanted it's great to, yeah I wanted to make the music all uh, myself but um uh, I just didn't have time to to get around to it um, I just I love that you're so passionate about this review that you couldn't even like settle on music to open it up yeah I think it's so there's, great there's a very specific feeling that the that i get from the music and i wanted it reflected in the opening with without actually being the same thing or being melodramatically yeah kind of goofy but so for me it's it's 10 out of 10 shababas you know 
It's as it nice. should be. Yeah. It should. If it's, it's your favorite, I don't know how you rate it any different. I mean, McKinnon no. didn't give that to Jurassic well, I didn't Park. give it to Up. That's a. Yeah. That's a. Yeah, that's a podcast that's lost to the ether. Yeah, though. but yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. But the reason I give it rest to, in I give peace, it a, value Brandon Squade. Yeah, <laughs> but the reason I give it a perfect score is because that that film, this film has so much more to do than me just as a viewer. It has so much to to do with me as a filmmaker too. There's another level of of the 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 cyclical attachment of everything. Is it's me as viewer as as um audience and it's me as viewer as creator so i'm taking from this and then putting out what i took from it into my own work and how others then right. see my work as i love that you refer to yourself as a filmmaker i know it's I it's fun it's, it's fun to say i haven't I touched it. a camera in like 10 yeah. years no, but i like, think it's great <laughs> still I, I love it um but yeah so that's why it's always gonna it's always gonna be a, a fantastic film for me in like i i knew now this time uh watching it that i was not going to be as happy as i have been in the past but i still like i was still like oh no it's still it's still still hits all of the right notes is not, this a, I, like is this a movie that you revisit pretty often or is this like kind of a yeah, I something to, something you like kind of savor and you want to wait to have it like no i tend to like watch this treat. like every year or every other year okay that's, so that's still like i think more often than i expected i thought you'd be like okay like i i i don't want to indulge myself too much you know uh, it's just like I I certainly listen to the to the score of the film more often. It's yeah. in my classical music playlist. Um, so that one that always yeah. comes up. There's there's like it'll be like a you know, um, a song that I I like, and then there's wow, a loaded, compl- emotional uh song coming coming out of here from uh you know a very specific scene that I can I can feel the emotion from it because I remember the music playing at the time of it. I absolutely feel the same way about a movie we're gonna uh, do a. Mm. review on later interstellar it's, that's going to be my pick for favorites yeah, it's going to be coming Zimmer. up and and that score is like like i just listen to it at work and it's so oh, great because i just like yeah. visualize the scenes and it's like i get to relive the movie through like this amazing score and i think that you're so right this the score matches this movie so well like that's like i've said a hundred times already everything in this film complements each other so well and the score is it fits the tone of every scene and it's great and so like i totally get the way you feel because i feel the same way about like my favorite movie it's like like i bought the vinyl for it i love playing it just like yeah it's like yeah hans zimmer is amazing and uh, who did the score for this clint mansell okay he also he did the for black swan and the wrestler um that's what i mean by him i kind of like like that i kind of like that some director because like that's uh what christopher nolan does he uses hans zimmer and everything i think the only movie he doesn't use him in is uh, Tenet because I can't remember what film he was Hans Zimmer was doing the score for at the time, but Tenet is like the only uh, movie that Christopher Nolan does that isn't Hans Zimmer, and it actually the Tenet actually has like a different feel to its score than there's like hip hop stuff in it which I don't think Hans Zimmer would ever do, uh, <laughs> which is fine it doesn't like ruin Tenet for me but it's I think you can tell it's a different composer um, but yeah I I I do kind of like that it's like you kind of get these like couplings between like some directors will use the same cinematographer over and over again. They use the same composer over and over again. It's because they just work well together. And, and I think it's, it works in this film too. Like it's there. Everything is so cohesive. It's like the composer absolutely understands the tone of the film and what, um, Darren Aronofsky wants. And it, oh, it totally, everything is just coupled so well in this movie. <laughs> so yeah. So I think we, we wrap this one up. Yeah. All right. We're going to do a, what are we watching lately? I mean, that's how we usually do it. So yeah. 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 All right, so I've been watching uh, The Great Pottery Throwdown. 
which is a series on Netflix. It's a, it's like one of those kind of like challenge shows where it's like, it's like the same as like a cook-off show. A great British baking show is the, what yeah. I thought of. So yeah, it, it's it's in the same vein as that. So it's it's all British people in this. Oh, uh, that's why it's great. Yeah, like it's just like great British baking show. I okay. think the reason I like it so much, though, it, first of all, just to like start it off. So my mom would like casually drop it into conversation like every single time I talked to her. She'd be like, <laughs> "So I was watching Great Pottery Throwdown, and then I had to cook dinner, and then she'd tell me about dinner, or whatever." Or, she, or she'd be like, "Oh, so I was watching Great Pottery Throwdown, and then I had to let the dogs out." And she just dropped it in all the time. I was like, "Okay, I'll watch it. Stop. Like, <laughs> I'll check it out." And so uh, Hannah and I, my girlfriend, we we've been watching it, and um, it's really good. Um, <laughs> It's it's really unique compared to like the way kind of I think American shows do like those challenge shows. Oh yeah, where I, it's like it's somehow yeah. it's like oh you won the challenge so now you can like sabotage someone else and it's so it's so American to just like try to fuck over the your opponent, which is I think is I mean it's it's like a hallmark of why we're so successful is like we're we're so willing to do whatever it takes to win, um, <laughs> and and this this British show is so the opposite so like. They'll they'll make their pottery and then they have to get it into the drawing room by like the end of a deadline, and like these people like will help out their competitor and like carry different pieces of ceramic back to the drawing room to dry out. I was like, it's if this is an American show, you're gonna damn near knock shit out of their hands as they're yeah. going to the drawing room, yeah. and in that show they're like, oh let me help you, or like they'll try to pull like a big uh, like piece of ceramic out of like a, a cast or something, and they'll have the other competitors help them out. I was like, this is so odd because like. It is so un-American, like, this show. And that's why I think it's pretty fun to watch because it's just, like, it's so different culturally. The other thing about it is maybe I don't like is they don't get enough time to, like, complete the project, I think, to make it, like, kind of really aesthetically good-looking. So, like, one of the big, like, last challenges they have in, like, every season is either you make, like, a fountain for a garden or you make a toilet, which sounds stupid. <laughs> but, like, the all the plumbing and everything that goes behind making a working toilet is so complicated. So it's actually a really hard like build for these people to do. And these are like amateur potters. These are not like, they're just people who do it in like their spare time. And so like making a toilet is actually really complicated. And it's just odd that that's like one of the final challenges the, to do. The pinnacle of right. my, my pottery experience. <laughs> but it always kind of sucks because they're like, we'll, sit on the pot, dude. Yeah, because they're like, oh, we'll give you four hours really? to make a toilet. And it's like never enough. So they always kind of come out crappy. And it's like just give them, just give them like uh, all the time they need to make this. That way, it's like, because to the viewer, you end up getting a product at the end that isn't like very good. Like most of the like kind of briefs they get, they have enough time to do it, and it looks cool. And some of the stuff is absolutely gorgeous. Like they, they, these people who are just like amateur potters make some really cool stuff. But then you get into these big challenges, and it's like just give them more time. That way, it at least looks good in the end. Because some of it's like they don't end up kind of completing their vision because they didn't have enough time. It's like just give everyone more time. That's my only knock against the show, but I just really love it because it's like a it's like a challenge face off type thing, and no one's trying to fuck each other over. Like the hosts are great. Um, they have like two pottery experts. One like cries all the time. Like he's so emotionally moved by pottery that he like he cries. He gets very emotional about it, and it's like so real. Uh, it, it's really. I usually hate these kinds of shows, but this one's so different to me, especially compared to like American version of the same thing. Uh, this was really, it was fun to watch, and yeah, shout out to my mom. I finally watched it, so we can talk about it now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I got. So uh, we, we have been, so I'm, I'm big into like, sports podcasts and things like that. Like I watch Pat McAfee's show every day, and uh, from his show, I learned about, uh, he does interviews with Peter Schrager, who works on who works at NFL.com and NFL Network. Uh, he does Good Morning Football, which is like 
nominated for crazy amount of Emmys every year for sports talk. But uh, he does. He's had. He has a podcast now. It's called uh, Flying Coach. It's with uh, Sean McVay, the head coach of the uh, Los Angeles Rams. So uh, you really get to dive deep into like one of the uh, most brilliant offensive minds of all time in Sean McVay. And and they interview guys like Joe Judge. And like they just did that one recently. And like it's it's a cool like if you're into football like which is. So much more American than whatever Connor was just talking about. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> American um, football, like yeah. real football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't. I would say soccer. Yeah. I okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan. Uh, Sean McVay is one of my favorite people in the NFL. Uh, he's he's incredibly smart, and obviously the Rams are very very good. So yeah, no, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I've got another um, music recommendation. So I've recently found the band Covet, and the way I found them was 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 interesting. Like my my Instagram is pretty much just guitar videos. I don't actually care about people. Like I just want to see guitar videos. I while think you I'm did cooking. that at a, what you what are we watching lately? Because you're building your own guitar, and so you talked about you recommended just all these guitar videos you've been watching. Yeah, so yeah. That's, so that's, that's, why, this. that's why I love this segment. It's like I just get to see what, what what's going on in our lives now. I love that. Yeah. So one of the videos that came through, I, I started seeing her more and more often. It's uh her name is Yvette Young, and it is her band, but she was uh. Uh, just playing one song, um, and I didn't realize it was off the album, um, but it was so cool. So she does a lot of finger tapping, um, uh, single coil sound. So it's a uh, there's a little bit of reverb. It's it's very uh, clean sound, but it's more where uh, a lot of um, solo guitar is is moving. Um, really uh, polyrhythmic and polyharmonic uh, sounds. Um, so it's really, it's kind of atmospheric, um, but it's so melodic at the same time. What sort of like genre would you place it in? I mean, it's all instrumental. It, there's no, there's no, uh, there's one song actually with, uh, with vocals, but, um, I, I don't know what genre to well, call no, it. Because that makes it even more interesting that it's like so unique that you yeah. can fit it into something. It's no, not, so it's I like not, that. yeah, it's not metal. It's not really alternative you wouldn't call it blues like that's why i'm saying polyharmonic and poly those are three very different things yeah. just uh yeah but which like, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but it's not it's not like one of those and it's the not fact even that it close has, to yeah. any of them the fact that it has aspects of all those is really well it doesn't that's what i mean oh, you're okay. just saying that there's not a place to put it yeah like yeah. like it's oh, not okay, gotcha. it's not even close to metal it's not even close to blues and those things are, are very far apart um that's that's more what i mean it's like gotcha. it's, it's i don't know what um what to really call it but it's it's uh what's the covet? blues metal band sounds pretty fucking cool <laughs> covet. Yeah. what a, like a, a blues metal band that sounds pretty well cool. i mean all metal is built off blues yeah and blues well that's scales, true all rock and roll so, is as yeah. well so, so yeah. it's all yeah it's all basically that way we tied like already what's the name of it? And, <laughs> like just crazy guitar riffs and breakdowns yeah what is the <laughs> name covet yeah covet Okay. Yeah, and if you want to hear the song that I'm talking about, it's Farewell off of their last album, Technicolor. Okay, we can put a link to that Yeah. in the description. It's fantastic. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Thanks. So I think we're we're all wrapped up here. Uh, uh, yeah, with that, I'm, I'm your host, Connor, and I have my co-host, Jaden. Yee-yee. And former guest, Calvin. Thanks for having me back. And thank you for listening. <laughs>